Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Time to begin, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we are so glad you have chosen to tune in to DLC, but we will urge you at this moment to pause this podcast. If you have not registered to vote yet, this is it. We're in, this is the, the you're at the end. This is the time. you got to do it. This is the last moment you can possibly register to vote for most of the states in the union. Let your voice be heard. Be one of the gamers whose voices is heard. It is a very imperative this election cycle that you that our voices are part of the chorus that helps shape the future because gamers deserve to be heard. So be a geek who speaks. Pause this podcast. We'll wait. Come back. Register to vote and get ready. But now, I mean, you can do it without pausing it. Like I have faith in you that you can enter your multitask? name. Multitask? Yeah, I think you can do it. Just don't put for your address. Don't put like one, two, three, dishonored two way or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it is time for DLC. Your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week: Squarespace, Squarespace, and Linode. They made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show. All about games. In their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. And I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T, joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who always appreciates good feedback, Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff, and thank you to everyone. I did not reply to them. I kind of just let it rest online, but everyone that came in with kind words after last week's show, and a special thank you to everyone who came in disagreeing with me and did so in a civil way. It was awesome. Um, I respect you very, very much. I know that everybody has different opinions, and those people that came in with disagreements in a civil fashion, it's what our country is built on civil discourse to the very few handful of people that came in not civilly yeah what are you doing <laughs> well I, you know, evidently we are according to our email address which is dlcfeedback at gmail.com we love your feedback uh, uh, positive negative whatever we love questions uh, we love any kind of uh, interaction you guys want to throw at us there uh, but according to that email address uh, going to have uh, several fewer view- listeners this week because um a lot of people said they will not be listening anymore based on the fact that we spent 20 minutes talking about a game-related topic that has political implications. But you know what? Well, also I, according to our iTunes okay. reviews. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't read those anymore. <laughs> read we had like a couple that like, come out in positive, and I was like, hey, we're going to make it after all. And then like as the week went on and people listened, there was... <laughs> uh, you, the, the only thing you cannot 
accuse us of is not leading with our hearts because we uh, Christian and I lead with our hearts on this show. I'm a and, rainbow uh, kid, of course I do. We're gonna we're gonna let those chips fall where they may. Uh, but a lot less political discussion this week. Uh, because we got lots of games to talk about. we got some awesome bonus content coming at the end of this show. Uh, Christian and I are going to do a spoiler discussion about the uh, indie darling Virginia. And uh, if all goes well, this may end up being a, uh, something that isn't in the show, but if all goes well, I will be attending a uh, hands-on Dishonored 2 event uh, and then rushing home. Uh, this, this episode might come out a little later on Monday than usual, but uh, I will be rushing home on Monday recording my thoughts on that event and putting that at the end of the show as well. So some fun hands-on with Dishonored 2 should be waiting for you at the end of this episode. But this episode is going to be chock full of gaming goodness as well because we have an awesome guest with us. Uh, You know that the show is always DLC, your downloadable Kanata, and your downloadable Christian. But this week we're excited because DLC stands for Digging Into Leisure Culture. Because from NoDon'tDie.com, we have entertainment journalist... David Walensky joining us. Welcome, David. Thank you guys for having me so much. Absolutely. We I'm going to do what I can to assure that you don't have a steeper drop off. <laughs> oh, we, no, co- we covered that last week, David. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah, are, you are good. All right. <laughs> um, David, tell us a little bit about NoDon'tDie.com and uh, what you do, what you're doing right now. It's a pretty cool project. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I guess like the easiest way to describe it is like it's an oral history project or a series of conversations of interviews. Uh, it sounds very highfalutin, but I say that the conversations are like a mix of uh, workforce journalism, a mix of ethnography, a mix of also uh, recent anthropology, for lack of a better term. Uh, it's really about just sort of cross-pollinating and exploring conversations that sort of fall short around video games, about video game culture, about the video game industry that, you know, maybe doesn't really have space in uh, the media landscape, just kind of things that not necessarily like for nefarious reasons, but just, you know, stuff sort of taking stock of like, what are video games and where are they today and sort of where are all this potential that people see that like... You know, maybe they're getting Pretty frustrated cool. about like, yeah, so there's a, a, a wide higher, variety of things. Yeah, Higher level conversations, right? It's a little a little um, more th- thinking about video games from a, from a little macro perspective, which I think is pretty neat. Yeah, bigger perspective and also much more focused on the people less than the products. If only yeah. there was a place people could go to listen to a bunch of these already to get a sense of what you're doing. <laughs> well what do you mean <laughs> <laughs> um, this is not a project that is forthcoming this is a project that has existed and continues to exist oh i'm so glad you brought that up yes well you can you can go over to uh no don't die.com and it's a weekly updated interview series that um you know i strive to have be fairly unpredictable and yet sterily, still fairly um you know nuanced and thorough and considered and all sorts of uh things that make me sound really smart and mature <laughs> <laughs> well you're on our show so you're going to sound even smarter in excellent comparison. so let's yes. uh, let's start the show the way we always do with story of the week story of the week it's the story of the week story of the week it's the story of the week Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration using our hashtag on Twitter, which is DLCSOTW, or by visiting our subreddit. Really cool community of folks over there. That's at 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Cool discussions this week. Uh, and also, feel free to contribute stories or tell us what you think about what we were talking about at DLCfeedback at gmail.com. 
Uh, David, as our guest, you get first pick of stories. So I'm curious what your story of the week is for this week. Yes. Well, I knew immediately as soon as you guys were emailing me a couple days ago what story I wanted to talk about. So I may not do the best job of teeing it up. And so I may lean on you guys for sort of giving context in the blow by blow. But I wanted to talk about this uh, No Man's Sky being investigated for a false advertisement. I know last week on the show, you guys said No Man's Sky sort of fell off a cliff of discussion. So uh, yeah, it's back, certainly but has, not, <laughs> not maybe in the way they would hope. There's uh, certainly been a spike of it. So uh, I don't know all the blow-by-blow, blow, so sort of like what happened? Because all I did was I heard that the ASA, which is like the UK's Better Business Bureau, uh, was looking into accusations of false advertisement, which I think yeah, is kind of weird. Yeah, there have ahead. been a bunch of uh, web stories, videos, uh, all kinds of stuff since No Man's Sky released a massive Reddit thread and all kinds of things chronicling in detail all of the points that Sean Murray would say in interviews or would show up at press events or would be in official advertising as the game approached release of what it was going to entail, what kind of features it would have, what you would be able to do in the game that didn't end up in the final product. And this is not uncommon. A lot of games change on their way from concept to release, and a lot of the things that are big promises end up not making the game in the final release. But I think there was, for some reason, uh, because maybe because this game sounded too good to be true for so long, the fact that it didn't live up to all of the bullet points that were enumerated on its way to release, I think maybe gave it... um, uh, they added more weight. To, you know, it, it was a it was a snowball rolling down a mountain. And certainly, if you look at the Steam user reviews, it's uh, overwhelmingly negative. People pointing all that stuff out. People feel, for some reason, with this game, that they were sold a bill of goods and that it didn't live up to the hype. Uh, we've talked about that ad nauseum on this show, so we don't have to go into whether we feel that or not. But the interesting point that you're bringing up, David, is that. Uh, this Advertising Standards Authority in the UK, which is much more stringent and I think much more proactive than its US equivalent, has heard complaints from uh, some of its um, constituents, people writing in with actual written complaints saying, hey, I purchased this game, I paid $60, I got it in a box, and the things I expected it to do, it doesn't do. That is false advertising. And they said, okay, we're looking into it. We've opened an investigation. Now, we don't have a... Uh, a, a result from that investigation. They haven't said they're going to take any action as of yet, but the fact that they are opening this investigation has been reported on by a bunch of different sites. And it is pretty interesting to think that maybe this might be a watershed moment in the way games are marketed. If there is some kind of punitive result, at least in the UK for No Man's Sky, it may end up changing the way people can talk about their games. And I think maybe for me, that's a more interesting uh, angle on it. But I'm curious, David, what what you think. um, Is this a good thing? Do you think that that game companies (laughs) need to be held accountable for this kind of stuff? (laughs) Man, that's tough. And I think it's hard to, you know, when you examine everything from a binary of like, you know, is this good or bad? I I sort of think on the face of it, like, it sounds like a joke, but like I feel like saying video games are falsely advertised is sort of redundant. Like I'm sure you guys are old enough to remember like old NES game covers and Atari covers and sort of all the promises leading up to those games hitting shelves. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I, I, I hesitate to say one way or the other because obviously, like this is like you know just a couple days old. Uh, I mean, do you guys think this is like overblown? Is this a thing where like? 
people were actually sort of intentionally misled? Or do you think this is just sort of the nature of the beast of, you know, I mean, it's an unusual case where you have like a really sort of smallish studio making their pet project that sort of gets, you know, the megaphone of Sony placed onto it and then the magnifying uh, lens of Sony placed onto it. And it's like, clearly there was a miscommunication somewhere, but whose fault is it? Is there someone at fault? Is this even a problem? I mean, is this even a problem you guys think? You know, from my perspective, it's both. Uh, and I'm curious what Christian thinks, but I, I kind of think that it's, it is both overblown and real at the same time. Like it's, it's a legit complaint. If you are a person that wants a certain thing in your game and, and the marketing for that game leading up to which launch says it's going to have that yeah. and it doesn't, I think that's a legit complaint. But I also think that for some reason people feel uh, a sense of entitlement about this particular game that is a little bit disproportionate to its its transgressions. You know what I mean? I don't think that it it, it is as bad as it as people make it out to be. Um, Christian, what's your take? So, um, former U.S. U.S. Alarmer, former U.S. Attorney here. Uh, anything I give you the legal advice, blah, blah, blah. because you couldn't couldn't say it, right? right. You, it's, uh, you can't can't do it anymore. I'm like, hello, I'm your lawyer. Ah, uh, crap. <laughs> Uh, your much. honor as the autorline uh, for this oh crap um oh he's good <laughs> i just deflect it's all smoke and mirrors and then i just it's block like, my uh you just you just say like oh that's latin i'm right. speaking yeah. it, it's no big deal ipso facto yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um your honor i know all the big latin words carpe diem i'm a lawyer <laughs> i do not know uk law or, or eu law well at all my understanding of u.s law you know the specifics the nitty-gritty has lapsed over the five years since i've practiced or whatever it's been but i think the smartest thing in this particular complaint from what i've read seems to be the way it's focusing on the steam store because it's not getting into the 2012 or no 2014 e3 sony trailer it's going after what is available right now or when this complaint was led uh lodged um what was available to see to promote the game when you're going to buy the game. So I think David's, you know, analogy to the old video game box covers is, is more akin, still different, but I think that's a closer analogy because that's the thing you're looking at to like, Oh, this is a game. This is the marketplace for that game. Oh, this is a video on the marketplace for that game. I'm like right next to that is the buy button. Let me watch this video. Look at these screenshots that has clearly that's the game they're selling me. Right. Like there's never going to be, like on that page, there's never like the fight scene from Captain America three, and then next to it is like the buy Super Meat Boy button, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just not the way this stuff should happen. So I think that is very smart. Whoever brought this complaint to limit its scope. Um, go ahead. We can say something, Jeff or David. Uh, that was that. That was me. I mean, I think it gets into complicated territory because I think, like you know, I think there are different rules for marketing to children versus marketing to adults. And I think this is sort of one of many push pulls we're feeling in video game culture. Like, you know, who is the quote unquote video game audience? Like, uh, am I wrong in remembering like the average age of a person who plays games now is like 38. Is that right? I don't know if it's 38, but it's definitely mid thirties. I, I, I think, yeah. It's, I mean, it's just it's... Guys, people way older than me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. And you know, even uh, Jeff Keeley weighed in on this this week and he, you know, he was um, one of the people that interviewed Murray in some of those, uh, those sessions where people are pointing out things that didn't happen. I don't, I, I, I don't think the things that I was disappointed about from and Sky weren't 
the fact that it wasn't what he said it was. Like, that's not what bums me out about that game. I, am I crazy? I, I, it, that's not the issue to me. Well, well, uh, maybe it would be helpful. I mean, I looked up like previous victories for the ASA, and maybe this will be useful or interesting. But like, so there were two victories it had against Apple, one in 2004, uh, when Apple claimed that the Power Mac G5 was, quote, the world's fastest personal computer. Fact. Hmm. Yep. I agree with that. <laughs> Still true and today. Then, <laughs> and then in 2008, they banned an Apple ad uh, for the iPhone where they claimed that it could access, quote, all of the internet, uh, which turned out to be not true because of just, I don't know how much you guys know about Steve Jobs and the kerfuffle he had with Flash. Flash. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so That's hilarious, though. That I mean, it's a little nitpicky to me. I mean, I understand protecting the consumer, but, you know, I was told that I could access all of the internet. And it just seems so, I don't know. I don't know. It seems silly to me, but maybe I'm... Well, they also had a thing. They they ruled in an atheist bus campaign that it could not investigate whether there is a god or not. Uh, <laughs> there were, I mean, there were all sorts of. I mean, there was a L'Oreal ad with Penelope Cruz with mascara, where they said that it was an exaggerated effect using mascara on uh, natural lashes. I mean, there. It's so. I mean, it's interesting to look at like these are the things where the ASA felt that you know it fit their criteria of something to look into, and then it was able to make a ruling. I just I don't understand like you know how this relates to that as far as like what's comparable and sort of like what is the decision going to be and then how is that going to be enforceable and then you know I do wonder about what I said before like you know is there different rules for marketing for kids and then marketing yeah. for adults I think that for me the more interesting question is what is your position on whether or not the way we market video games should change should should we not get as much information leading up to a game unless that feature is definitely in stone going to be in the game? Like, hey, we'll see, do, we, oh, should we limit what people are able to say about a game leading up to its launch? So I just want to point out real quick that I think that's an interesting conversation, but that is not this story. Okay. This story is what is currently on the Steam page when you go to buy the game. Like th- this, so, okay. This You're complaint. saying it's not even about it's not even about Sean Murray's um, no. interviews. This okay. Com- this particular complaint is not about that, which is why I think it makes it smart. So I think that makes this news story a jumping off point for the bigger discussion. But after last week's show, I want to be very clear with my words. <laughs> <laughs> but I think too <laughs> and, and the analogies we're making. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think too in the in the in the uh, you know in for the sake of clarity and uh, purpose, you know, uh, I mean, I don't think that like when we think of marketing, it's just you know. A steam page in a vacuum there were a lot of other uh steps in the ecosystem that also you know hyped this up and that repeatedly hyped this up it's not you know just the game company alone yeah and what if you have what if you have a site like steam or any other marketplace um storefront website that just on its own compiles all the information about a game what if you know what if there's a a list of links like a wikipedia that then has a buy button or something yeah what if you you're, you're all the things that have ever been published or you know all the interviews here's a convenient place to click on them and you can watch them oh also you can buy the game right here i mean i don't know i think it i think this would have a chilling effect if these guys have some sort of punitive result I think this would have a chilling effect on what we hear about games leading up to them. And, and maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. I mean, with a lot of the interviews I do, which maybe from the explanation before, this may or may not sound like a natural conclusion to draw. Just like I have this feeling that 
you know, there are many game companies that are kind of just afraid of, if not all of the audience, portions of the audience. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant and I'm concerned about anything that's going to like tip the scales in a way where people who, you know, we want to be creative people who we want to make interesting stuff, you know, we want them to take risks. We don't want them to be in a place where they feel like, you know, they're just totally shut down. They can only say with great certainty what they say is going to happen. I mean, you look at the way movies are marketed and like, you know, trailers don't match up with the movies that come out. Um, I'm sorry. The Fantastic Four trailer was exactly what that finished movie ended up being. <laughs> I will hear nothing else. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I think what I think that this will uh, end up being in terms of its chilling effect I see this as being the next step in this slow evolution of the Killzone bullshot trailer, right? Where after that was at Killzone 2, um, after that was shown, all of the trailers you started to see at E3 would have the text at the bottom of the screen that would say in-game footage or rendered in-engine or rendered on a PS4 was like big this year on God of War and all of the PS4 trailers. And what I think you're going to see now is some other small disclaimer that says something like rendered in engine on ps4 accurate as of 9 16 or 10 right. to 2016 and because stuff does change and you're going to show it early but i i think you're going to see uh i don't know if it's publishers or developers or advertisers you know the question one of you asked earlier i forget if it was uh you david or jeff but mm-hmm. asked like were the, was there intentional misleading here my answer again as a former lawyer and person who enjoys words yes but the stigma we put on misleading is the same stigma that we put on manipulate. Like yeah. you're trying to show the best thing ever because that you want people to buy it. Like you're, you're, when you advertise Skyrim, you show like this grand adventure. You don't show me sitting in a house going, I'm, I'm going to keep all this gear somehow. I don't, where am I going to put it? Okay. I'm going to, you don't show that. I, mean, I don't I think don't, there's don't... any, any designer who has ever claimed that a game was going to have something knowing full well, it wasn't, I think they always intend Peter Molyneux like thinks that they're going to achieve the thing that he's talking about. You know, they- what, what about what about Duke Nukem Forever? What about all these other things? I mean, there's a healthy history. I think it's I think it's tempting and easy. And I know that the No Man's Sky guys like have been compared to Peter Molyneux from time to time. But like this is it, this is just the nature of being creative. You know? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. And I think that uh, from my perspective, I don't even I don't ever I don't look at this as a I've been duped situation. Mm -hmm. I just feel like the game that I got wasn't as fun as I was hoping it would be, but it's not because it wasn't what they said it was going to be. It's more like the idea that they made just, it just didn't work out for me. Uh, I don't know. Well, where's the, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I'll admit that it's still on my hard drive, but after this week it has, um, it's been replaced in my, my heart. The joy I was getting from that game has now been supplanted by much greater joy. We'll get so in a way, in a way, Christian, you finally left your home planet. <laughs> did, you just admit, did you just admit to having a hard drive in your heart? <laughs> well, it's an SSD, but yes, it's much oh, faster. Well, it, it, it turns over very fast. Well, no, I, I, uh, I may have just lost my train of thought, but I think you know, it's. A, I think it's a worrying precedent because it's like. Well, it said here it was going to be 15 hours of gameplay, or it said here it was going to make me cry, and it didn't, or yeah. this, that, and the other. I mean, you know, there was also Steam refunds that also got people very up in shock. So I think it's very easy to sort of discount or to also see these things as being completely overblown. I certainly think it's weird. 
it is weird. It's going to be yeah. interesting to see how this all, all yeah, happens. yeah. All right, Christian, what is your story of the week? Um, an update to last week's story of the week is is important. I need to do that. My my PC has been updated to Windows 10 Anniversary Edition, and it was yes, it, a worthy not applause. Not applaud him. It was no small feat, apparently. <laughs> no, so, I'm applauding him because I've been through it as well. <laughs> I had um, chats with three different, and everyone at Microsoft was awesome was awesome i had three different chats with uh technical assistants or whatever they're called um i probably spent a total of six to seven hours on chat with the microsoft they, support they promised you a 15-hour campaign and you only got six to seven hours which you know, that's... well it was it was multiplayer though so that, yeah, that's true and um they <laughs> I, they set up a phone call for later in the week with like their you know, supervisor head of Windows updates, and <laughs> the call happened. And then I don't know if I'm, I should reveal full, but uh, it won't be too hard to find if you stalk through my Twitter. But I'll just say Jordan reached out via Twitter, listened to the show, and I cannot thank Jordan enough. Um, he works on the Windows and Xbox Universal Store, and he reached out via Twitter. And you should see the length of some of these DMs I was sending him as I'm trying to solve this. And he came through with the eventual solve and hopefully now he's like communicating with the team working on this stuff and so my computer is an hp uh you know pretty impressive rig and the only change i made to it out of the box is i put in my ssd into my heart and then put in a large uh two terabyte like d drive and apparently what they diagnosed ended up happening. This is no one in the other seven chats. You know, I did so many other things, you guys, <laughs> so many other things. Uh, <laughs> it was insane. Um, We've all been there though. Somehow yeah. something in the SSD or no, something in my, my D drive, my, you know, storage mass, whatever big garbage can drive. Cause I'm a digital hoarder was blocking the update. So I needed to open the case and unhook my, backup drive and then the update went through flawlessly then i hooked up the k hooked up the drive again and all the updates like all the little minor updates pinged through just fine but there was somehow for whatever was in this code or kernel i'm super untechnical was picking up in my non-boot drive and so apparently now the team's aware of this and they're gonna help it so it doesn't happen again and i basically told them i don't care until crackdown three so they have time to fix it um <laughs> so so long story long uh <laughs> Did you end up getting uh, to play Forza on your PC? Oh, did I, Jeff? Remember what oh, I said right. about No Man's Sky? <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So we'll talk about that in the playlist. But is that your story of the week? Is like my your own personal story? <laughs> well, that's what it was last week. It's an update. My story of the week, oh, okay. the biggest did news. You, did you fix your toaster as well? <laughs> uh, it's a toaster oven, and it is gorgeous. Uh, David, what I did is... Um, the is this cool- also part of your body? Yeah, it, it will. <laughs> It's, you know, private parts. It's the oven. Um, okay. Sorry to be personal. Twitch Prime. I think that's big. I, um, what they have done with it in, in, it in and of itself maybe isn't that big. But Amazon is this company that, while I, there, there definitely is some crappy stuff to how they run their, crap, their company for sure, but in terms of the way they generally treat customers, they seem to be on the up and up with like, oh, you're a Prime member. You get everything in a day. Uh, now you get free. Also, we have TV in this and there's music. And, oh, also, you still get free shipping. And also, oh, now Twitch Prime. If you're an Amazon Prime member, here's Twitch Prime. And you get free game loot and discount on new releases on Amazon. And 
Oh, Twitch Prime, if you're Amazon Prime, it's now you're ad viewing on Twitch. Oh, and also you can subscribe to one channel for free every month and it resets every month so you can keep, you know, every year you can give money to 12 channels for free and that channel gets paid just like you would if you were, they would if you were actually subscribing. And I've heard that the Amazon's plan is to make Prime, make it financially irresponsible for every human not to have Prime. It's... I don't it's know how it's financially so responsible stuff. for them to support Prime, but it is. And again, they you do. guys are talking about the place where I buy my socks. Yeah, that's it. That's the way. It, and also, <laughs> no, yeah, it's where I get my fruit. Is that the same place? Are you it might be. Oh yeah. Well, is they also where I get television programming that's original. Oh. I mean, they've, they've they've also branched out. Like, aren't, didn't they just like put out a Woody Allen movie as well? A I mean, are they, just, are they just taking over everything now? Is that yeah, sort of yeah. is that sort of the way things are going? And when people way. email me, I am I am aware of some of their crappier business practices, and and there are some. There are probably more than I'm aware of. So I'm not saying that this is the perfect company that we should all strive to support. But what I am saying is that Twitch Prime seems to be another example of of them. I guess maybe achieving that goal, Jeff, of like, it's all these minor things that alone you're like, oh, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, don't know. I mean, I, it's, I guess if I still get free shipping and then you look at how much it is a year and it's mind boggling. Yeah. It does also, I think, speak to the dominance of Twitch as a platform. And even though YouTube has made a play for that space and, um, you know, there are, there are, um, there are attempted usurpers of the throne, uh, nobody is touching Twitch as far as the the place to be for gaming content, and I think this just only adds to that and makes it uh, a more interesting, more valuable place to be. Uh, and, and you know, so many people already have Prime, and they just have extra stuff. You just get extra stuff if you already have Prime, uh, and that's pretty cool. It's it's insane. So anyway, that's my my big story. And go if you're listening to this, find out a channel that you can sub to that you've liked for a long time and. Make make a reminder. Like I've already done mine for this month, and it's just like you're giving them money. You're just giving them money for free that Amazon's giving you. It's I don't know. It's also embedded in this announcement was a discussion that Amazon Games is going to be uh, making an MMO. They're oh, making yeah. a MOBA. They're making a, a like esports shooter. Uh, pretty much the only genres of games that are made anymore. By the way, um, the, you know, you either make a MOBA, an esports shooter, or an MMO. Everybody wants to be Blizzard. <laughs> <laughs> And Blizzard wants to be Amazon. Is that what you just said, though? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I agree. Very cool story. Um, as far as my story of the week, I, I'm torn, but I think uh, this one is a little close to my heart. Bulletstorm Remastered has been confirmed. Bulletstorm is a game that I shouldn't have liked because it, it's super crass, uh, kind of lowest common denominator humor, just felt like it was going to be it's the kind of game that I would find a little gross and not very fun. But if anybody was listening to any of the content I was producing back when that game was released, which is, I don't have the year here, but uh, it was a while back. I think it was like 2008. I went on another podcast, uh, the bullet points podcast earlier this year. And I actually uh, played that game this year for the first time. Does it hold so up? I know what you're, I know what you're talking about. Um, I love it. it. It's, it's interesting because you you do you do go in and even if you feel so entrenched and so fatigued with shooters like one of the main things that struck me is that like it's actually like super pretty to look at like there's a bunch of really bright colors in it and yeah it is pretty crass and yeah it is kind of dopey but 
you know, it's crass and dopey in like the way that like the action movies we saw growing up. Uh, I'm making a guesstimate about your guys' ages. But, no, you yeah. know, it, it's, it's it's analogous to those. Yeah. It knows yeah. what it's doing. Yeah. I mean, if you want a rare game where you can shoot stuff um, <laughs> and kick things in the balls. <laughs> well, it's not that just that. I think the game did a really good job of allowing sort of – creating a series of systems that allowed for uh, improvisation. You were able to be creative in how you took something down. And every firefight, yeah, I felt super overpowered, but I also had a blast like deciding that I was going to toss that guy across the room and impale him on those spikes that were on the wall. or you know. And I was awarded for that. It, it, it allowed me to do all these crazy over-the-top stuff. And I, every moment, I was... You're like, was, a, you're like a jazz musician yes, with your, with your, with your beatdowns. But perfect. so no, I mean, I heard about this, but is this like a remaster or like what, like what That's is the, the extra they, stuff? Yeah. They've been talking about an idea of a remaster even back during E3, but I guess uh, there is a, a listing now on the Brazil advisory rating boards website uh, saying mm. that it's, it's set for 2017. So that gives me hope that maybe, maybe, maybe they're working on a Bulletstorm sequel uh, because I think this is a, a as much as it is um, kind of uh, dumb premise and dumb humor, I think the systems that it, in, it that it introduced really are worth a re- <clears throat> excuse me are worth a revisit because even playing the new Doom, I was reminded of Bulletstorm of like oh man Doom is like incentivizes you to leap into the action and to always be pushing forward and and you know do these creative kills, but the Doom creative kills were never as fun or interesting or felt as jazz like as <laughs> have you played it christian yeah phenomenal gameplay the story and it poorly marketed they leaned into the swear word swear word mick that was Buster. the marketing campaign with like the vomiting action figures right it right. was wow okay awful. it's hard to, hard to forget yeah uh <laughs> i think they can if they if they do a sequel though jeff i think they could spin that like what they need to do is just go for real over the top ridiculous where the first one i mean it was pretty misogynistic and i don't think it was yes it wasn't um oh come on brain it wasn't anchorman misogynistic right we're like we're in on the joke that will ferrell's doing and it's kind of a commentary on misogyny it was just like i was offensive. about to repeat it i was about to repeat some lines from the game but i remembered you want to yeah, curb uh, cussing. Yeah, we have the clean uh, tag, so. so I can't. I actually can't say any of them. But I think all we can uh, say is bullet storm. Yeah, uh, and uh, words that starts with D, and another word that starts with T. And right. Either you remember it or you I don't. Do. But... That was the big one we used to say all the time on. <laughs> yeah, ducktails. Yeah, yeah ducktails. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Maybe. I'm excited about. I'm excited about them doing a remaster, and I hope that this uh, it, it sort of resurrects this franchise, even if. I don't agree with it completely. I just think that it's it's underrated. Uh, I mean, yeah, the way that I remembered it uh, over the summer is like it seemed to be like carrying a torch for a lot of um, you know bigger shooter games and sort of like trying to. It sounds funny because I don't think I don't think shooters were quite as pervasive then as they are now. Although they, maybe it just it always feels pervasive, but it seemed like it was trying to bring back a lot of influences and a lot of things that like had sort of fallen by the wayside and the proliferation of other shooters that had been around. So, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I think it still holds up. I would be interested to see like what they're going to do to update it. Cause you can still get the old one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope that it uh, looks and plays uh, better. 
All right, uh, let's move on. I know, I know we can we can talk about the uh, Ubisoft hostile takeover thing from Vivendi, but I feel like that isn't really a story yet. It, it like it didn't happen. Uh, so maybe we'll talk about that in future episodes when it if it if it actually does happen. It is a big story, but wait, uh, are you going to ignore this thing that the founder of HTC Vive said today? <laughs> what? <laughs> what did kidding. I miss? Do I have to stop? Doing all the things I love. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But the PlayStation VR guy, he has been tweeting some nonsense. <laughs> uh, uh, we're, in the, we're, in the, we're, get, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty on PlayStation VR. I'm very excited. Uh, anyway, so uh, let's move on. We'll talk about games that we're playing and get to the playlist. But first, we do need to thank our sponsor, Squarespace. You've heard me talk about Squarespace so many times before. That's because I've been using it for years. I love it. I recommend all my friends use it. If you have any need for any kind of website or any kind of online presence whatsoever, Squarespace is the easiest way to do it and the best way to do it, the most secure way to do it, the most stable way to do it. It makes it so simple to create a website or online portfolio or a storefront or really anything you might need on the internet. Squarespace is the best way to make it happen. You've got drag and drop editing. You can just create a website using their awesome templates, but you can make it your own with drag and drop. What you see is what you get. Editing, such easy tools that are powerful that let you make a unique online footprint that only is yours doesn't look like anybody else's because you can craft it and create it so quickly so easily they have a mobile app that lets you update your website on the fly all kinds of great tools it's intuitive and easy to use it's great plus if you go to squarespace and sign up for a year you'll get a free domain name that's great it helps you build your online presence it's what you need but even better you can go start using their tools now You don't even have to put your credit card in to try it out. You can build your website completely for free without spending a dime or even setting up a credit card so that somebody will eventually charge you a dime. Build the site. Make sure you like how it looks and how it functions before. Use their tools. Understand how easy and cool it is. And then once you're ready to go, once you've decided that Squarespace is the best place, you'll get 10% off your first purchase by using our promo code. So what you do is you go to squarespace.com slash DLC, S-Q-A-R-E, excuse me, S-Q-U-A-R-E-S-P-A-C-E, all one word, dot com slash DLC. Then use that promo code Jeff sent me when you check out to get 10% off your first purchase. Show support for DLC. Make sure they keep sponsoring us. It's great. I highly recommend Squarespace. I recommend it to all my all my family members when they need to make a website. Squarespace.com slash DLC promo code Jeff sent me. All right, uh, we are in the playlist. David, what is on your playlist? Okay, well, I'm going to cheat a little bit and talk about something that I'm not playing anymore, but that I just started and just finished. Uh, in the course of the last week, and this is the South Park game, the Stick of Truth. Is right. this something? If you, if either of you, both of you played it, it's a couple years old. Yeah, I played it. Uh, in fact, for the longest time, it was the only reason that my Xbox 360 was still hooked up when Xbox One came out, is because I was still playing through Stick of Truth. But I found it to be a little bit. Um, it, it got a little tedious um, at a certain point. I felt like uh, the the combat wasn't as quite as interesting. As I'm hoping that uh, Fractured Butthole is, 
uh, the sequel. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I mean, it's funny because like I, these games have been on my radar for a long time. I knew there was a new one coming out. I wasn't quite sure when, uh, but I just kind of marathon through it. And just, even though, you know, it lasted like a couple days, uh, I'm like enthused and curious about what the new one is. So the new one is like, it's like a superhero thing, right? Yeah, it looks like it's a riff on the Civil War or, uh, you know, Batman versus Superman. It's heroes versus heroes. Really <laughs> clever idea. And, yeah, you get to play in that sort of superhero genre. But, um, I, you know, the, the fact that it, they managed to make that IP so authentic in a video game form and actually had, you know, uh, Parker and Stone involved at, at, at such a, a – fundamental level in the making of it 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 really shows too because the humor is there all the characters really behave as they should all the voices are right it's pretty cool right yeah i mean i'm sure you guys have seen that like seven or six days to air thing so i I mean i I don't know how involved they were you can tell they obviously were involved i don't know if it takes them a week to make an episode did it take them like three weeks to make the game or i'm actually kidding yeah Evidently, from all all reports, it was a pretty arduous process, and they were really fighting along the way with Obsidian to, um, you know, make sure it had. Not to say that Obsidian didn't want to make a high quality game, but they, evidently it was they fought for delays to make the game better and make the game better. And it sounds like this sequel is really them kind of learning from all that, those those problems in the first game and making the game they wanted to make. Originally. Interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's deceptively, like, deep, and there's a lot of strategy in Stick of Truth. I mean, it gets, I think this is something you mentioned, like, it gets just a little bogged down or marred, like, near, like, the last quarter of the game, where I think it feels super beholden to, like, you know, mock or parody specific video game things. But, I mean, it's a lot of fun. I think a lot of the things that sort of, you know, you can you can count as, like, strikes against it, like, it's still on the whole, like, worth playing. So, I mean, I, I'm surprised that I'm just catching up with it now, but I'm curious to see what the next one is. Yeah. Uh, are you a fan of that sort of Japanese-style role-playing game in general? Uh, I was growing up, uh, reluctantly. I, <laughs> I only played Final Fantasy one on a dare in, uh, junior high school. Uh, and I sort of <laughs> beat into me like a fondness for these games, but this is, it's not a style of game I've played in a really long time. I want to play truth and dare with truth or dare with you in uh, middle school. Then that sounds like the wild party. <laughs> <laughs> There's just like four TVs set up at my friend's house and we're playing like uh, ghouls and ghosts or ghosts and goblins and just all the absolute worst NES games for the uh, ability to brag about having beaten them. Yeah, man. That and was what like, childhood was, baby. Steve <laughs> comes back in after like running down the block naked in winter and he's like, man, you guys are just playing video games. <laughs> <laughs> Grab a controller, play Contra. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll go back outside. Thank you. Yeah. Slightly more fun. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I was bummed that Fractured Butthole got delayed because uh, I'm really anxious to get my hands on it. It's, it. You know, they're updating the combat system to add a little more variety in positioning, like you're able to move your characters around and that matters. It's a much more strategic combat system rather than that old sort of just select attack or select block or whatever, you know. Um, and yeah, it really was, excites me. It was surprisingly influenced by like Super Mario RPG and stuff like right. that, which I was not at all expecting, so... Um, I want to talk a little bit about Civilization VI because I've been playing an early access version of it. Uh, some restrictions on the early access version. There's only one 
difficulty level. You sort of have to play. Um, there's, there's a smaller number of, of civilizations that you can choose from. I think only 10 of the more than 10 that they're going to have at launch. Um, but I'm a big Civ fan. I'm a big turn-based fan anyway. And, you know, Civilization feels like a board game. Uh, and I've always loved the Civ franchise. And Civilization Six has been on my radar. I'm really excited about it. And th- the fact that I got to d- dig in early... It's a perfect game to play when you have an infant also because turn-based, it'll always wait for you, which is so nice. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the, they've overhauled the look and feel of the game. It's a gorgeous new graphics engine with this beautiful sort of painterly look. And when you haven't uncovered parts of the map, it looks like old cartography almost, like a, you know, like a map that Indiana Jones's plane would fly across you know, in those sequences. Uh, which is really cool. So you can like discover, uh, you know, features of the map, mountains and rivers and stuff. And then when you leave it and you don't have visibility, it leaves like a, a hand drawn, like etched in, uh, you know, cayenne colored uh, uh, version, like on a map. So, so neat looking. All the units are really well animated. It's just a beautiful, beautiful game. I find myself zooming in a lot just to watch the little animations of my soldiers or of the construction of my wonders or whatever. And there's a lot of really new changes to how civilization plays. Uh, They've broken up cities so that you have to build on, uh, build specific features of your city on new tiles. So previously you would, you know, add and build up your city and it would just kind of, incorporate that onto the city tile where you founded the city. And now you have to choose where to place things and you can get certain bonuses based on adjacency to certain terrain features, which is really cool and adds a lot of strategy in where you originally found your city and where you found, um, you know, like expansion cities, but also kind of puts you in a bind where if you didn't plan ahead well enough, you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't even build this because I'm not, adjacent to water or you know, I can't build an aqueduct right now because I'm not adjacent to water or I can't build a this or that. It, it's really interesting and it, it makes – it feels more authentic to how civilizations really work, right? Because you are, you are a function of your environment in a, in a much greater sense than ever before. Um, there's a whole religious victory now that you can, you can shoot for and you have all these sort of religious wars that your, your followers can, can go into, which are a little weird and simplistic, but, but, uh, it's an interesting idea that I think will be iterated on in future expansions. Um, it's just, it's so, so good and so addictive. Um, what are, what are the other new facets of the game? Are you got either of you guys Civ players? No, I've tried to be with, um, Every time, you know, they come out with, like, simplified ones or whatever of all these types of games, I'm like, okay, I'll dive in on easy mode. This one has in it. I get overwhelmed, and then I put it down for a month, and I come back, and I'm like, I've forgotten everything. So, no, they've never clicked for me. <laughs> I have Civ Five in my Steam library, but like many people, uh, I haven't opened it yet. <laughs> I think, honestly, I, I've been thinking about this a lot as I've played. Civilization is one of my favorite franchises of all time. Um, and... I think it, it it scratches so many itches that I love that are unique to the things that I like. But what, one of the things I like most about it is that it gets more complex over time. And you at the by mid game, you're dealing with so many interesting things each turn. But I think that the early turns 
suffer from not doing much. And I think new players to Civ might be turned off where it's like, okay, you need eight turns to research your next thing. You only have one or two units that you've built so far. You're moving your, you're exploring with your, with your uh, scout. You're moving your warriors across the landscape looking for barbarians to conquer or whatever. But you're doing it very slowly. And sometimes your turns are like, okay, well, nothing happened. Next turn, one thing happened. Next turn. And yes, that progresses you into later stages of the game fast. But I think that might be a, a turnoff or it might be confusing to new players that huh. it, it, it like takes a while to ramp up. And once it does ramp up, I feel like it would be really exciting and fun to anybody. But... I wonder if there's a if there's a problem there for adopters to the game where would you when you first start you feel a little overwhelmed by all the information that you're getting and all the decisions you have to make and you know tech trees and what even is everything and where am I and what do I do and yet kind of nothing is happening at the same time mm-hmm. um, I'm wondering if that's an issue for them that they're trying to deal with but this game is so elegant and how it expresses information to the player and how many resources that it gives you to figure things out, but it also can be overwhelming. So, you know, this is a a franchise that's, I think, uh, intimidating to people, I suspect. Yes. hundred percent. Yes. (laughs) Ryan, Ryan Anderson, 23 says play scenarios and you skip the ramp up. Yes. I don't do that enough. I should scenarios is a way to play Civ where you're dropped into a specific, point in history and there's already a dynamic that's been set up by the game and you have to navigate your way through it really really cool and there's tons of user mods that allow that that also change up the game and allow you to skip the beginning and do all kinds of crazy stuff i tend to play civ in a very uh traditional way where i just i'm start at the beginning of time and i move through uh either victory or loss but uh, those scenarios are really really cool that's for sure but this version that i played of six we you weren't able to play scenarios yet. It's it's um, not the full release, but it it really proved to me that this one does so many things right that it's going to be an addiction for me when it's finally fully released. Is it like SimCity where you can uh, like spur of the moment like conjure up a disaster or something like <laughs> like that that happens? Not really. No, you're playing um, a civilization and other civilizations exist in the world, and you have to figure out how you're going to interact with them. So you can't ever really, I mean, you could, I guess you could destroy some of your own units, but uh, (laughs) it's more about (laughs) relationships and you can create trade routes with other civilizations. You can go to war with them. You can try to make your culture so powerful that it spreads across the globe and other civilizations are just overwhelmed by the power of your culture, which is my favorite way to play. You can also progress on a, on a science track and become the first civilization to leave the planet Earth and and be uh, you know uh, scientifically superior, technologically superior to all the other team, all the other players. My favorite way to play though is is the cultural victory, where I'm creating great works of art, I'm uh, cultivating great personalities through history that uh, are culturally relevant, that are that are, you know, I'm, I'm creating great wonders across the world that are, um, inspiring to people. And it makes the culture of my civilization, the most dominant culture in the world. And it spreads globally. And then I win a cultural victory. It's my favorite way. 
Interesting. Sounds like some real uh, Icarus action there, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> get a little too close to the sun there, buddy. Yeah, baby. That's how I do. I, wear, I, put my, I put my paper wings on and I take flight. <laughs> Spread that culture. <laughs> That's going to go well for you. <laughs> I hope people play Civ Six, man. It's so good. It's so good. No, I mean, I'm curious. I think it's just like, I think it has this reputation as being this like super dense, super it is. Uh, layered thing that's just like, I feel like I got to go back to college or something like to start playing those games and just like understanding it. Like I got to well, like. It kind of doesn't help whenever you, whenever you click on like, what does this mean? And then it loads up the Civ cyclopedia no, uh, which is like this massive database of all the information in the game you're like oh there's a this game comes with an ency- literally comes with an encyclopedia okay <laughs> um so that's a little intimidating too but i think this i think the way information is pre- presented is very streamlined there's it, it it also does a really a lot of really interesting things where it sort of introduces quests in this one they don't call them quests but they basically are <laughs> it's it's it, 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 it's focus points for things you should be doing. Like it'll give you a bonus if you accomplish something or you're the first person to meet another civilization or you're the first person to do this or that. It'll give you a bonus to certain things which sort of nudges you into investing in that particular technology or that path in some way. And I think that's really smart. Like it'll, or it'll, it'll create a potential bonus if you go do this or that. So you're incentivized to give you more guidance in uh, ways to play rather than just sort of throwing you out there and saying, do it, figure it out. You know? So like, if you're going to go, and I'm sure we have to move on, but like, if you're going to go for like a, you know, cultural win, like, do you get like celebrities and like trends and fads and stuff? Like, do you get yeah, the I mean, name of them? Or they have in that? The, in yeah. the form of, you know, like Shakespeare and, um, you know, the great, great, great figures through history or Michelangelo and, you know, people will come to your city. You'll have these cultural icons come to your city to, uh, increase the culture of, of what you've created. So there's is, a, is Tim Allen in the game? Yes, definitely. It's, um, <laughs> there's a, there's a victory. That's really? called, yeah, there's a victory called home improvement. Really? Where, no, no, no. Bob Vila. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> Christian, what's on what's on your playlist, buddy? So this little game that came out called Forza Horizon Three, and Jeff, I know you played the demo, which is quite expansive. Now, after playing the full game, I mean, it gets you into a a decent chunk of the game. And I have not played as much of this game as I would like to have played because I'd like to be playing all of the game all of the time. For people that are playing it, um, I have upgraded my second festival is where I am, and then I'm also I've discovered um, I don't remember. I, I spent a lot of time between festivals <laughs> discovering roads, or I feel like I might already be up to like a hundred or something like that. And hey, then, man, if you remember the festival, you weren't there. You weren't there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and smashing signs in this game. So I do have it running on my PC, thanks to everyone's help getting that uh, anniversary update. Um, the PC port does have its problems. It's not a perfect port. It, it will um, hang or drop frames occasionally. But I am. I still enjoy playing it on my PC over the Xbox One. The Xbox One version is incredible. If you only have an Xbox One, I can still highly, highly, highly recommend this game. I prefer it on PC. It looks a little cleaner. I'm running it on Ultra. I'm running it frame rate unlocked. Um, so I don't, I'm not hitting a constant 60, but it's beautiful and silky smooth for the most part. It's, it's, I hope they fix it, but at this point, I would call it good enough um, for the PC version. But if you know nothing about Forza Horizon 3, 
you are it's the best way to talk about it is it's a racing game yes but it's so much of it isn't about getting first place early early on in the original forza franchise you know you had the rewind feature so already this isn't a sim racer where if you make a move you don't like you can rewind and you don't really get penalized for rewinding at all and you can do whatever you want but i think the beauty of the horizon series is so much of the game is just driving around these beautiful vistas and jumping in and doing some races but you're still getting credits to unlock um other races, other festivals, other custom mo- custom mods for your car that, yes, you want to win, but you don't or I don't have these throw-my-controller moments if I get third or fifth or something like that instead of first. And the game does a nice job of kind of adjusting difficulty on the fly where I was getting first and a whole bunch of, like, all the races I was doing. And it's just like, hey, you know, you, you've got first on every game time to up the difficulty and i was like fine <laughs> and then it like will tweak it down too if you're getting frustrated a bit you know so the best way that i can describe forza horizon 3 for non-believers for people that think racing games aren't for them is it is the closest we will ever get or have gotten to another burnout paradise this game only thing it's missing from Burnout Paradise, in my opinion, in terms of being that type of just, like, epic, fun, this game is everything, is it doesn't have the huge over-the-top explosions. But it has the hidden jumps. It has the hidden billboards to smash. It has the hidden cars that are awesome littered throughout the world. It has racing events that you can just drive up and jump into and start racing. Uh, the drive guitar, which is still a weird name and whatever... Uh, but it's cool, it's dumb, but cool to be driving around the world and I'll see, like, Cheapy D from Cheap Ass Gamer driving in my game and I can honk my horn at him and he'll jump in and drive with me. And it's not really him, but it's still it's Did that. Did you hear about that kid that, uh, there's a story about this week from the, about this kid who, um. Played with his dead sa- friend? Sadly died, yeah, really suddenly. And he was able to, like, drive a race against the drive guitar of his passed away friend. I thought that was pretty amazing. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's a story like that for a prior uh, Drivatar-enabled game, too. Oh, no, there was a story about a guy who had a ghost of his dad that he saved, which is also amazing. Um, but it's just really cool and elegant, the way all of this stuff is bundled together in a way that Burnout Paradise did years ago as well, and Forza Horizon did a lot of it, too. But you could just be driving around exploring this um, video game version of um, Australia, right, where it's not obviously to scale but you get to go to the outback to the city to the forest to the beach and you'll go drive through points and you'll stop and you can take a picture essentially or you know and it goes like oh this is pretty beautiful isn't it take this in look where you're driving and it's like you're driving a car commercial meets one of those slickly produced motor trend videos or something right or like those videos that tim stevens is making where it's like these gorgeous car zoom by and you're like that looks awesome and then you get to do it and i don't know i i am in love with this game i know you played the demo and it still didn't it still didn't click for you and that can i tell you why sure here's here's why it's not burnout for me and i fully admit this is on me this is not the problem with the game this is what i like in video in uh racing games and I understand this makes me a Luddite when it comes to <laughs> racing games, but I'm being honest. 
what I one of the things I like about burnout isn't just the the explosions, although those are real fun. You know, <laughs> sideswiping a car and causing it to explode, and and then it, like the camera swoops back, and you're like, yeah, you made that guy flip and crash. Yeah, I mean that's really fun. But that wouldn't even be that would be fine to forego in a more sort of realistic sense. The thing that bothers me that it, that we don't have anymore, and I know you're going to make fun of me for this, but it's the fact that I can't just hold the throttle down and go. You can't. I can't, I can't just. You no, can. In Forza Horizon, no. you, can, you can turn on auto braking and auto line. You can. You 100% can. This game, you can go. In this game, but I can go from. It doesn't feel like I'm. In Burnout, I just hold the throttle down and I feel like I'm going so fast. And in, in, in Forza, and maybe I need to give it more time and, and be a little fairer and turn on those like auto braking things. But. It's that arcade quality that I enjoy. And I understand that's not what driving fans like. But for me, I wish there was still those games where I could just hold the throttle down, feel like I'm going fast, and it's all about me sort of making the turns because I don't have to brake ever. <laughs> you know? Well, and those... It, yes, I, so I understand that point. The sense of speed initially in Forza is not as extreme as the sense of speed initially in a game like Burnout because while you can unlock, I think it's an M4 or a Shelby GT350, like you're getting a pretty awesome car at the open of, of Forza Horizon 3. It doesn't have that same like, you know, you see the blur lines whooshing past you and fires constantly coming out of your tailpipe. Yeah, and, baby. Uh it doesn't have that same effect because they're trying to have a little authenticity authenticity of like if that was how is the how the M4 acted then like oh god what are you doing when you're in the Lamborghini <laughs> it's like you know there's nowhere to go um but the assists and stuff of being able just to hold down drive or uh, the gas that certainly is there but the difference is that burnout and in, in those games i think are the courses were designed to be a little less technical so they didn't have as sharp of turns or you weren't going through an S turn up a hill that then, you know, after you got to the top of the hill, you went downhill and you had to turn counterclockwise back down after your momentum is shifting your car to the left. It didn't deal with that. It was like, here's a bunch of gentle swoops and also if you do crash, it's going to be big and beautiful. So isn't that cool? Um, I get that. I get that critique. I do think, though, that you could play Forza that way it's just it won't naturally unlock for you that way. Like as the festivals unlock, you can ask Anna, who's like your um, GPS computer thing in the game, to say like, hey, what should I do next? And she'll recommend other events and other things to do. And so some of them you'll be drive, you'll be racing in a city. So there will be straight up 90 degree turns that you need to take as if you were in an F1 race or something where, you know, you're, you're bombing through real city streets. But you can also ignore all of that stuff and just go out into the outback and do races that are much more sweeping turns across beautiful vistas and have all the assists turned on. But it requires you to be active in your enjoyment, whereas Burnout is like, hey, this is how you play this game. If you don't like it, here's some sweet smashes. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever played Split Second, Jeff? Do you remember that game? Was, I yeah, do. Great. It didn't come out the same time as Blur. Yes. Uh, it might have, like six yeah. years ago. Because like, I'm a... Uh, I, I'm similar to you, and like I miss like the arcade style of racer. Like, there's nothing wrong with the more simulation based racers, but they kind of <laughs> gate me from enjoying them because there's just so much like onboarding you have to do, just learning how to like, you know, it's like learning to drive stick, but in a video game. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember <laughs> Split Second came out the same time as Blur, 
and they both sort of ate each other's lunch. And I actually thought both of those games were really fun. Split Second was the one where like you're racing around and then there's like, like a plane crash happening in front of you and you have to yeah. like – Yeah, it was really cool. It's like, a, it's like a racing game I think set in a reality show but it like controls yeah. like Mario Kart but it looks like real world and – Everything explodes. Yeah, it was cool. I, I remember both of those games were supposed to be the start of franchises, and they li- literally came out like the same day or the same week or something. And neither of them did well because it was pretty much the same idea of a crazy, over-the-top arcade racer. Both came out exactly the same time, and neither of them did great. And it's like, well, maybe if one had come out six months differently, yeah. they both could have found an audience, and it would have been really neat. I think but. Blur had its own unique problems of this Mario Kart gameplay with. Um, accurate car models where they couldn't go all the way with like destruction because you yeah. can't trash a Corvette. You know, Chevy doesn't want their car to look like crap the way that you would if you're blowing things up in this otherwise graphically realistic game. And then Split Second to me was awesome your first couple of playthroughs, but after that you learned that all of those, the plane crash, which is like the big demo that they showed, were totally scripted. And right it became very tiresome to do the same race over. Like if you, you needed to get first to unlock the thing and you're like, and here's the playing. So it lacked that um, improvisation method that can make driving so much fun, even on the same course, every time it's right. different and that game, it was oftentimes similar, but I will end this with saying, if you think you like driving games or cars, check out Forza horizon three. And the best thing you can do is download the free demo, which is um, meaty and will give you a good idea of what the final product is. I yeah, I wish I liked it more. I, I, it's gorgeous. <laughs> it's so gorgeous, and I can't even imagine it on a PC with all the settings up. Oof. Yeah, Oof. I haven't. I plan on streaming it. I think tomorrow I will, since we're doing this today. But every time I sit down, I'm like, I should stream this, and then I just start playing it. And I don't. I never like <laughs> open OBS to stream it. I just play. <laughs> um, let's talk. We're going to have a spoiler discussion about Virginia uh, at the end of this episode. But let's do a non-spoiler. Bit on Virginia. Are you game for that, Christian? Sure. Um, so I think people probably have heard about Virginia at this point. It's making a, a lot of waves. It's this indie game uh, from a new studio that came out, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, very short game. You can play it. I played it in one sitting uh, in, in a couple of hours. Not even. I, I did it in the span of one of my son's naps. So for whatever that's worth. It's, it's one nap length. I mean, he woke up like <laughs> 10 minutes in, but you just left him in the crib. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you also had a game of Civ Six going at the same time. Well, you know, just one more turn, one more turn. Um, <laughs> He'll understand. So the thing about Virginia is uh, it is part of this new subgenre that people are talking about and it has been dubbed walking simulators. You know, this is Gone Home. This is Firewatch. This is... Um, Oh, there's like three more of them. Dear Esther. Dear uh, Esther's a great one. Yeah, yeah there's a bunch. Um, so the idea here is that these games aren't particularly challenging in a, uh, you know, in, in any kind of um, hand-eye coordination way or in any kind of traditional video game way where there's a, a win condition or you know something to to uh, some sort of some sort of uh, dexterity challenge or even a strategic challenge. It is much more about conveying a mood or conveying a story and uh, it uses interactivity to do it, but the interactivity is relatively low. You can wander around a space, you can move through a space, but it's all about sort of being there and experiencing the story at your own pace. Um, Virginia is unique to that genre in the sense that it does not have any dialogue. 
There is no spoken words. There are no written words. Well, I guess there's some signs, but there are basically, there's no dialogue spoken by any of the characters. And yet it is a very character driven experience. It's all played in the first person. You play an FBI agent who is trying to find a missing boy uh, and you have a partner and all of these sequences that happen in the game, uh, you are moving through the game. You're not, there's, it, there's really no way to fail. It just sort of waits for you to do the next thing or push the next button. There's not much to it from a uh, gameplay sense, from a mechanical sense, but it employs a lot of really interesting methods to convey its story. And very, many of them are very cinematic. It does, it does quick cuts, which you almost never see in video games. So you'll be walking down a corridor and then it'll like edit you to the end of that corridor or it'll edit you to a completely new place and it'll juxtapose different places and um, give you just a snippet of a moment or uh, take you to a, you know, from a car ride to a completely different place or put you into a dream sequence just for a moment to see a strange thing. And again, very simplistic graphics, very simplistic characters, but somehow it's able to convey all of its story and emotion without saying a single word, just from the facial expressions and, and environments that you're, that you're in. Um, Christian, I texted you this weekend and said, please play this. It's going to only take you, you know, hour, hour and a half to get through. It only costs 10 bucks. I want to talk to you about it. I suspected that you might not like it based on your reaction to, um, uh, what was the game we just talked about recently that you hated because it didn't make any sense? Oh, um, inside. inside. I didn't hate inside. The ending left me less than satisfied. It's like I had a delicious dinner and then the dessert came out and it was just like a weirder version of the same dinner. That's just how they do that over there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we won't talk about spoilers. We will. I want to have a discussion about it with spoilers. So we, this will be relatively brief, but I just wanted to get your, cause I, I really, thought the game was a pretty special thing and pretty amazing. But what did you think? So saying things I liked about the game, I, I thought it was beautiful. The simplistic art style made in Unity. I think between this and Firewatch, Unity has shown me that if you have an understanding of color method, you can make beautiful outdoor environments that I want to walk around in and explore. Um, I thought the way the trees and it was like fall in Virginia and the grass and all of those outdoor spaces were, were stunning. Um, the style they went for was was beautiful and awesome. I like the fact that, and I'm not trying to push some liberal agenda here, please believe me, but I found it interesting that this is a game where you are an FBI detective and, and you are a woman and a person of color and the other person that you are interacting with for the majority of the game is a woman and a person of color. I feel like that is noteworthy and interesting because you see it so seldom in video games. And in the real world, you see women and people of color all the time. They're literally everywhere. <laughs> um, and I also commend this game for being a game about being an FBI detective or, you know, whatever, investigator. And it's first person and you, you never shoot a gun. It's kind of like the game that you've always, you know, one of the <laughs> things you always reach for, Jeff. Like, I want a game that's compelling with no gunplay. And this is 100% that. And you do police work. This isn't as if it's you know you're a police officer but on break and you're picking out curtains for your house but you happen to be a police officer you are doing things that a police officer or an fbi agent would do and you do without ever firing a shot uh it's really really cool and i think commendable for that um i think it's influence or what it, it leaned on from film is interesting i think we'll see more of that in video games um i i don't think it needed to be a video game 
I, I think I would have enjoyed watching it more. I played it on PlayStation 4, and I, I tweaked the controls quite a bit. And I found the first-person controls to be clumsy, and I found it to be cumbersome to my enjoyment of the story, trying to, like, I know I need to click on this lamp. What? Give me the click prompt. Give me the click right. prompt. Where's the click that prompt? Where it would, like, slide by. You push right or left, and it sort of slide by where you need to be. Yeah. Yeah, there's like a weird floatiness or weight to it that I couldn't dial in exactly right, mm-hmm. and um, so to to no longer bury the lead, the spoiler that I tweeted out while I was playing it, I had not been that bored playing a video game in a long time. I thoroughly do not recommend playing this game. Um, <laughs> maybe watch a stream of it. I I found it to be incredibly boring, and had you not asked me to play it, even though it only took me a little over two hours, I would have stopped. 20 minutes in and found my life the better for it. Can I jump in with a comment as well? Please. Uh, so this will probably support your claim a little bit, but uh, you guys both buried another lead, which is that I think this is the first video game where you use a microfiche. Oh yeah. Pretty great. I mean, I, I think I, I think I get where you're Did coming you play it? Yeah, no, oh, I, 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 realize that. oh no worries no i mean i'm i'm among the you know lucky few who you know i completed it before it was released not that it takes all that long but i mean i think i'm just gonna try not to repeat things you guys already said but like the things i really enjoyed about it were those more filmic elements that you said like the 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 weird jump cuts from a first person perspective is like super jarring and i think it did really interesting stuff like later in the game where it plays with like you know you walk down the the stairwell to this person's office and you know the first time you're going there like it just it like cuts you right to the door but later in the game when you know you don't know what happened to this person um you know they 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 interestingly like milk walking down those stairs which is just the way that would be presented in a game normally like it's played more for like suspense and dread which is interesting yeah. uh, i mean not to distill it down to like you know what did it do good not did it what did it do not so good um i mean you know i enjoyed it on the whole i feel like i'm repeating myself from the south park game i feel like it kind of fell apart at the end i won't give away any spoilers because it sounds like well, you guys are going to be inserting something here. Because, yeah, no, I would love uh, – I wasn't aware that you, you played it. So let's move on and we can – if you want to stick around for our spoiler discussion, I'd love for you to – Yeah, no, totally. Okay, I'm great. So we'll, to, yeah. we'll stick around for the end of the show if you want to hear more talk on Virginia because I think it's a really interesting game that deserves to be discussed. Um, and, and I can't think it's hard to discuss it without talking spoilers. So right. uh, stick around. We'll do that at the end of the show. But let's, um, let's move on now to a little VR talk. But first, we do need to thank our sponsor, Linode. Linode is a hosting company offering high-performance Linux servers for all of your infrastructure needs. Linode has it all. Lightning quick servers in the cloud, a super-fast 40 GPS network, automated backups, node balancers, managed services, guides with step-by-step instructions, a simple but powerful control panel, 99.9% uptime, 24-7 support experts, and all the tools you need to get the job done right the first time. And now... Linode offers two gigabytes of RAM for only 10 bucks a month. Over 400,000 customers trust the Linode platform, including us, including 5x5. 5x5's infrastructure is happily hosted on Linode, and getting started is easy. Just pick a plan, choose your favorite Linux distro, and pick from one of eight data centers in America, Europe, and Asia. Just visit linode.com slash 5x5 today. To support the show, use promo code 5x5 for a $10 credit 
Linode, simple, powerful, reliable. All right, um, I had a fun week in the realm of virtual reality because uh, my dad and stepmom were here visiting my my newborn son, and uh, it was the first time I got to introduce them to virtual reality. And man, is th- that is that might be the best thing about having a VR headset is introducing someone to it for the first time. And not only that, someone that I grew up with and purchased the first computer I ever had for me, right? My dad is a, an engineer. He's a tech guy. He was a nerd before nerd was cool. And, you know, he was into computers living in the Bay Area when nobody was, you know, like the homebrew days. And we had a TRS-80. And we had, I remember when he brought home our first PCXT, you know, uh, 8086 computer. And it was, a, it was a magical time. I taught myself basic. I mean, and now he puts on a headset and he's inside a magical world of computers. It's, it's like the fact that in my lifetime, we've gone from Pong, literally Pong, that my dad was so excited about Pong. To you VR know? Pong. To, yeah, to VR Pong that uh, makes you more empathetic. There are a lot of VR, there are a lot of VR Pong games. That's a very good point. Um, well, well, you're using your own hands to smack the ball back and forth, and you can look all around you, and it's amazing. So, for look both how of them, far we've come. Yeah. <laughs> what was experience one for for both your dad and and uh, stepmom? Yeah. Uh, it was uh, first of all. The first thing I always put people into that aren't gamers, you know, particular. I'm not going to throw them into Space Pirate Trainer or something, you know, right away. Although I did put my dad in Space Pirate Trainer eventually. <laughs> but um, that's not going to be, the, you know, first step. Uh, I always go with the blue. Do you have the blue, Christian? Oh, no, you don't have five, right? Um, the blue is that is that uh, underwater thing where you can, like, a whale will come up to you. There's three different Yeah, I did the scenarios. blue at your house. You did the we blue all mask. did the blue. It was a crazy. It's the first day. one I do. It's the first thing I do with everybody, and it blows people away because it's beautiful and amazing. And you, you know, you've never. Everybody knows what it's like to snorkel or you know go to an aquarium uh, and see amazing undersea things. But to be like standing on the ocean floor and have a whale stroll up to you or a stingray swim by lazily, and you can look all around you, it's an extraordinary first experience for people. And. Uh, you know, uh, you get the oohs and ahs out of the way r- real quick because people are like, what is even, how, is there's particles of, there's fish, oh, oh, oh my God, the whale. You know, that kind of experience is pretty, pretty fun. Um, so from there, there's a new experience that I think is an official Valve experience. It's called Destinations. It's pretty amazing. It's a bunch of that um, photogrammacy that, Photo, you know, like hundreds of thousands of photos compiled together to create a 3D environment that you can wander around in and teleport yourself through. Um, so if you, you know, if you've had, you've done the lab or you've heard about the Everest experience, those are examples of that. But this is a a compilation of um, destinations that Valve has put out that you can download extra ones. People can upload ones from video games, like you can compile images from video games into them. But also there's a bunch of professionally done, you know, real locations in the world. There's this uh, English, um, uh, what's it called? Church. There's a, a church in England that somebody did 
perfectly. You can wander around the outside and it's got vegetation and you walk down this path and it's, it's all as if you're really there. There's like an old mill that you can be inside. Uh, and so that was perfect for, you know, these people of a certain age that like to travel. And it's like, look, you can be inside these places and they look real. And my stepmom was like, you know, admiring this table. And she's like, oh my God, I want a table like this in my house. And it just shows you the potential for what VR can be to anybody. And while they weren't particularly adept at using, uh, you know, video game type controls, it's pretty amazing how quickly people catch on to the concept of teleporting around a location, you know, just pushing a button, aiming a beam at the ground and teleporting to that spot. It's pretty intuitive. And I, I was impressed with how those controls can be quickly uh, learned and, and, and you can get pretty, pretty good at using them pretty quickly. So how long do you guys think it's going to be before Amazon taps into this and it's like you can 3D print any object you see in a VR world and it's like an Etsy type marketplace and you're like, I want a table like that. And then like you pay a vendor and then you just get it. Like, is that day yeah. going to come soon? I mean, I'm ready. I'm ready for that. <laughs> Let's do it. I think before we do that, it'll be more like, hey, do you want to rent a house or I mean, rent an apartment and you're you know, not able to come by and take a look at it? Well, let's just put on your VR headset and wander around inside and check it out and see where you went. Oh, and maybe you want to figure out if your furniture is going to fit. Okay, well, how big is your bed? Okay, well, here's a representation of your bed. See if it fits in this room by manipulating it in real time in the space. You know, It's like all that stuff is going to be a revelation for just average people. Can I just say I mean, a dumb aside here? Uh, I enjoy going to open houses from time to time and uh, <laughs> stage is when it's like presented, you know, it's probably not the person's furniture and it looks nice as you would see on HGTV. Yeah. It was at this house and it was very nicely staged and they had like clearly <laughs> defined spaces and I went into the boys room and on the nightstand there was a huge thing of lotion and a box of tissues. <laughs> well, it's the boys room. They know what's <laughs> oh, the boys. It's, it's allergy been, uh, season. It, it's allergy season. Allergy season. I, I had to get chafed elbows and runny noses. <laughs> Good point. It made me laugh so hard that either one, they were still living in the house and they didn't put that away, or two, the staging company was like, no, we need sunflowers for the dining room. <laughs> authenticity, baby. Anyway, sorry. That's not the details. Go. I thought you were going to go like, uh, how are we going to get the smell of cookies in VR open houses? Oh, that, yeah. That story, took a, that story took a different turn, though. Yeah. I'll take the smell of cookies over it. <laughs> <laughs> smell. Anyway, Over, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This week, uh, Vive also announced their own storefront called Viveport. Well, actually, that's not true. They had announced it a while back, but it finally was released, uh, and it included a bunch of sales of games. Like the the blue actually was only a dollar this week, for example, and some other interesting stuff. And they're positioning this Viveport app storefront as um, an alternative to Steam in the sense that it's not just focused on games; it's more focused on these kind of more artistic experiences. Uh, Christian, have you seen this yet? No, but I, I love the idea of it because Steam for VR is kind of a garbage can where it's like hmm. you go in there, then you got to launch like their VR launcher and you, it's you can, real like, clunky. It's yeah. real clunky. Yeah. And oh, go, someone, to Vi- go ahead. Go to viveport.com right now. Right now? Yeah. Well, I'll do it later. I don't want it to. Ha- no, do wanna, it right now. Oh, it's going to hang up right the. Uh, Just go there. I want you to see I'm it. I'm there right now. You got to check it out. Do you see it? Okay, I'm here, yeah. What does it look like to you? I mean, this looks like Itch. This reminds me of Itch a little bit. It looks exactly like the Oculus store. Exactly uh, like the Oculus. Exactly. Yeah. What? Is that weird? 
No. It's, it's exactly the same. It's the font is the same. The way things are separated is the same. The the positioning of of all of the icons is exactly the same. Everything is the same. Yeah, it's a hundred. But I mean, I, I that is makes, that weird? It makes total sense to me. One, it also does look kind of like a um, Tumblr clean uh, theme or something, right? But yes, I mean, do you think I, that's what it is? It's just a generic template, or do you? No, I think it was intentional. You, you feel comfortable. Someone tweeted asking about, like, for VR, should you go all digital? And I think, you know, you want the space to look familiar. And if you're in a helmet, the beauty of it being all digital is you can just bounce from game to game without taking the helmet off. And this, I think, is to just not make you question where you're buying your experience from. It's the, You know what I mean? It's, it's like it's a store is a store is a store, and they want it to look the same would be my guess. But I, I think it was 100% intentional. It's, it seems insane to me. That it's it, exactly the same. Yeah, it's exactly the same. It's like if you went to Target.com and Target.com looked exactly like Walmart.com. Like exact, like the competitors in the same space, website looks identical. Yeah, well, maybe the same very, company very made weird. it. <laughs> maybe so? I don't know. Anyway, uh, are you guys excited about uh, PlayStation VR? David, are you, uh, are you in on VR? Uh, I'm curious. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a believer. Uh, I tried it a couple of years ago at uh, the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco, and it, it sort of, you know, it awakened me to it. And I mean, you know, it's the it's the big times of prognosticating, like, you know, is this going to happen or not? I'm curious. I'm especially curious because I'm starting to see, like, people pop up on my uh, my PlayStation friends list. Like, they're starting to use all the PSVR stuff. So I'm curious to hear, like, you know, how is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, some of the some people have gotten early versions of them. Yeah, you're pre-ordering, right? You're, you're keeping it. I don't know yet. It's, it's going to be a game time decision. I mean, I I think the best thing that PlayStation VR is doing, excuse me, is uh, including the the demo disc. But I also think the worst thing they're doing is including the demo disc because, like, I, <laughs> I, I I just don't know if you do anything else other than that. And you think it's, it's like Wii Sports, sort of? Yeah, I think it might be. And I think that uh, will hurt the longevity of the, the the device. I really do think it's going to be a game-time decision. And then just to be 100% honest, if they think this thing shows up on my door and on eBay, they're going for like $2,000, it's going away. You know, like <laughs> just right. 100% honesty on my part. I'm excited about it, but there's a price in which I, I will let someone else have it very quickly. <laughs> I hate to Fair say enough. that. I, I I feel crappy saying that, but it's kind of where I am. Nothing has blown me away 100%. And the coverage hasn't come out yet. Like, I don't know what the yes. full Arkham experience is. So, I don't know. Yeah, I think the launch lineup looks pretty darn strong. I mean, there's a lot of games that I've already played on other VR platforms, like Keep Talking, Nobody Explodes. And, right. Um, you know, there's a lot of really proven, excellent experiences. I'm excited about Res, that extra level that they're doing looks extremely cool. Uh, I played res at an event, you know, when they first announced PlayStation VR, but they didn't have that level yet. Uh, but even the old levels, it's just such an, a cool experience in the, in the headset and super hypercube is awesome. And, um, you know, I think, I think there's going to be lots of really fun experiences at launch. I'm really excited about, uh, Robinson, the journey, which I played a little bit at E3 and was, was really impressed with. So, uh, I'm super amped for it. And we're getting down, you know, it's like two weeks away. So mm-hmm. it's pretty exciting. I mean, do you feel like the launch lineups for these things, is it like more impressive than like when the Super Scope 6 came out or one of those other peripherals where like, <laughs> you know, we're going to go really hard in. This is going to be the future. I think it's a little bit more robust than Super Scope 6 was, but uh, maybe I'm misremembering. How, were, were there more <laughs> than two games out for Super Scope 6? 
Well, technically, yeah, because I think one of those cards had like six games. <laughs> the Genesis hoping... one had that Toe Jam and Earl uh, Tomato Blaster. And then one of them had Terminator 2 Judgment Day. I definitely bought the gun that had that game. I don't know if that was Genesis or Super Nintendo, but yeah. I mean, I think the tough thing is like so many people who are really into games now like know the deal. Like, you know, you wait until the game of the year edition comes out. You wait until the Steam sale. You wait until whatever... And I think it just it puts a lot of these launch lineups for VR stuff like in this tough spot where like, okay, but you know, if you want it to take off, like you gotta support it in these early days. But you know, in the early days, like these launch lineups have to be really great, but who the heck knows what it's gonna look like two years from now? Yeah. Well I think the big difference, and I mentioned this quickly on another show uh, episode, yeah. is that um PlayStation VR is launching with and, and has coming down the pipe known IP where I feel like Oculus and Vive did not do that in the same way. I mean, they had like E Valkyrie, which is an expansion or an extension of one of the largest IPs in the world, but a very different gameplay experience. And Sony is very much Sonying it, right? It's like they have some unique, some new IPs, but they also, what they're touting is Res, is Resident Evil, is Batman, is Star Wars. So yeah. I, I think that is super interesting with their approach to it. Yeah, and, and I think this really will be the test as, as to whether this tech will will make it to the mainstream. You know, I, I'm hoping that people will enough people will get it that you'll be able to go to somebody's house and try it. And sitting in the living room and doing that, it's a little bit different than walking into my little cave like office space. How big? <laughs> how long are the cords? Do we know? Is that public yet? I have no idea. But like, you know, know to play it, you need a, enough space. But then like. Am I am I running a cord ten feet from my TV? I mean, now? here's the thing: a lot of the a lot of people I know who are not as deep into video games as any of us, certainly not all of us combined. They've told me like they're interested in VR. They would only try it like at a bar. Like they're more interested in trying it in, like a public setting, which sounds like the last place you'd want to try it. <laughs> uh, but also, some people are like concerned, like you know, if they have cats or they have other pets, like they're going to wind up, you know, stomping. <laughs> Oh yeah, mine's in, mine's in my closed office. Like I, I, yeah, I can't play this with like my three and a half year old well, or my dog. Yeah. No way. Yeah, it feels like it feels like just playing VR is just perpetually teasing your cat, and you're going to wind up stepping on your cat or something. Well, there's, a, there's a lot of these PSVR experiences that are seated controller experiences. You know, almost every one that we've mentioned so far is a con- seated controller experience rather than a standing flailing experience. But there are those too. So right, uh, I understand the concern. Um, I, I don't know. I. I think that having something like Keep Talking Nobody Explodes is is a great one because I think it's the kind of thing where people can come over, you're sitting in the living room, one person's in VR, other people are out of VR. It's going to be a fun gateway drug. Um, I don't know. Obviously, I'm very hopeful that it catches on, but it's going to be an interesting couple of months to see how it, the, the critical reception is to the tech. Yeah, I hope I hope it gets there. We'll, we'll see, though. Uh, all right, guys, let's wrap up the show. No tabletop time this week because we have so much bonus content. Can I mention I real quick? Sure. I did the uh, play D and D with Josh again last Thursday. Oh, cool! So if you want to watch it, it is archived on their Twitch, which is Josh Play. And if it's not already on their YouTube, I believe they will put it up there too. I continued as my character at the end because it was my second time back. The audience, people watching, we played it live on their Twitch. Voted to level me up. I was a rogue and true to my character. My other two, the other two people I was playing with, uh, told me to go back and collect our reward, and they were going to finish it, like take this. Uh, person home safely and like a true rogue the audience voted for this other girl to get the bonus and then i kept it and lied <laughs> nice <laughs> um, 
And I was playing with like someone also in the comedy community that I knew of but had not met before. And at the end of the game, I was like, like we're still cool in person, right? <laughs> like I was just being in character. <laughs> anyway, it's up on uh, on Jash play. <laughs> Very cool. Well, we can maybe go to a deeper dive on that next week when we have tabletop time. Yeah, enough. I need to get you out for one. We, we, uh, they want to get us both in together and we can bring let's in a third it. too. For sure. Uh, all right, guys, uh, let's um, let's wrap up the show again. Tons of bonus content coming at you. Uh, we do have our parting gift coming up as well, so stick around for that. Plus, uh, hopefully, me talking about Dishonored too, if that all works out as I'm intending. Um, but let's uh, wrap up the show. David Wolinski, thank you so much for being here, man. It's been awesome. Of course, thank you guys so much for having me on. It was tell a lot me, of fun. Yeah, tell me again where uh, where people can find your your cool content. Sure. Yeah, the best place to get at me. Uh, so my project, Don't Die, lives at www.nodontdie.com. Uh, lots of interviews there. There's a form there if you want to talk to me. If you read stuff there that you feel like you have something similar to share or something that you don't see up there that you have to talk about, uh, please hit me up there. Uh, otherwise, best way to stay posted about everything else I'm working on is just via my Twitter, which is just spelled like my name, at David Wolinski. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christian, what do you got going on this week? This is out early on Monday. I'll be at the improv space in Westwood. It won't be. Okay, never mind. Forget Monday. <laughs> it will not. The rest of the week, Twitter will be the easiest way, at Spicer. And then um, this parenting podcast I've been doing now for a while called Department of Parenting with Chris Quintos. We've kind of – I feel like we're in a good stride with things. Episodes feel fun. And, you know, sometimes when you're starting a podcast, episodes feel forced and you got to push through because you believe in the thing. Now I feel like we have a lot of fun on the episodes. We've been getting some great audience emails. You can find all of that stuff at departmentofparenting.com. And I want to come on now that I'm an official parent. On, you're welcome. I was honestly waiting a while because I figured I know what else you're doing, and I'm like, I'm not going to ask him right now. You seem No, I, I think I know everything about parenting now. I just meant you seem busy. <laughs> I didn't want to pull you away from like the one hour you have with your actual son to talk you about mean- the one hour I have to play Heroes of the Storm? Is yeah. That, that, <laughs> that too. But you are you are welcome anytime for, for real. Let me know. We'll make it happen. And uh, and then Twitch, which I've been bad at this week because I've found myself just playing games. <laughs> but it's uh, Christian Spicer and then everything is archived on YouTube, which is Christian Spicer 713. And then Jeff knows because he's seen some of the stuff. Very early pre-production for some bigger some bigger things are going to be hitting that channel. Fun. Soonish. Fun stuff. Yeah. Cool things. What about you? How, oh, we have concerns is back, and I heard uh, uh, you guys have been killing it. If you're not a patron, you should be because you guys have been killing it with the cold opens lately. That's another thing that I feel like you guys took a while to figure out, like releasing the cold opens, but they're so dumb. Well, we really <laughs> I love them. We, we would start to have conversations before the episode, and then we'd just start the episode, and then at a certain point, people were like, well, why don't we hear those conversations? And we are like, oh, well, we are recording them. We could just put them out. <laughs> so we have now. Uh, for our patrons, people that support the show at the $3 level or higher, get that uh, extra content. But um, the show itself, free and only 20 minutes, uh, three times a week. You can check that out at wehaveconcerns.com. I guarantee you a laugh and maybe you'll learn something too. Uh, also, the Slash Filmcast, we've got a new episode coming out this week. We're going to be talking about um, uh, Deepwater Horizon, which, guys, much better than I thought it was going to be. I'll tell you that. A little spoiler for that, but a uh, very good movie. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's it for me. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Canada. Always love to get your emails to this show. Any comments you have or questions, DLC feedback at gmail.com. But right now let's do our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a suggestion. 
David, do you have a uh, a recommendation for something that can get people through their week? Oh boy, I do. So uh, this is uh, fairly straightforward. It's everynoise.com. Uh, and you're going to you're going to type in that website. That sounds really weird. And you're going to be like, what the heck is this? Uh, so this is a website run by Spotify's taxonomist. So this is a person who is obsessed with labels of genres. Um, and so what you do is you go to the site, you go to the upper right, you punch in the name of an artist, musician, band, whoever that you are into, and maybe you want to hear more stuff like, or maybe you want to hear something completely the opposite of what they're like. Uh, you type them in, hit enter, and then you'll see a series of genres that get spit out at you. And so you you click on any of these genres, and it just deceptively changes the mess of words you see on the screen. It's not very pretty to look at, but it's pretty amazing in that once you click through to one of these genres, uh, in the upper left side of the screen, what you'll see is... Um, a series of playlists that sync in with Spotify and it can be the sound of the uh, edge of, and the pulse of, and it's super not intuitive, but pulse of equals the most popular things in that genre. The edge of equals the least popular or newest things in that genre. Uh, and then you can also just get a playlist of just everything in that genre. Um, Last couple of weeks, I've kind of gone from listening to music uh, on Spotify to just like punching in things randomly on YouTube. This has kind of uh, made me come back around to Spotify and subscribe to all sorts of really weird <laughs> things I had no idea existed. Like now I am uh, following a playlist of Christmas music that's popular in Japan. Uh, I'm <laughs> you can really go into a lot of really strange rabbit holes, and I've discovered a lot of really cool stuff. And of course, by recommending this, I will be screwing up the things that are on the edge of different playlists because <laughs> as they get more popular, they are no longer in those lists. But uh, I highly recommend it. It takes some getting used to, but it's really, really awesome. Everynoise.com. Everynoise.com. Very, very cool. Yeah. It's an awesome recommendation. I've never heard of that, and I'm going to be totally checking that out. I have no idea why they don't make it more clear to people, but it is well worth visiting and uh, <laughs> awesome. fixating on. Yeah. Christian, how about you? You got a parting gift? Yeah. it's. Uh, I went to Blink-182 last night, and it was incredible. You guys, ooh, oh, man. They uh, mm-hmm, know how to do it. Uh, it's not that it's quite like Tom is Tom. No one can replicate Tom's voice, but they're not trying. They're not. They're not trying. And uh, I love when people don't try. No, they're not trying to replicate. (laughs) The first time Skiba played with them, he kind of did a Tom impression, and Uh he's now very comfortable being himself. And it's they're they're the better for it. Um, What a show! But the parting gift is, I used to go to a lot of concerts, and I haven't in a very long time. I've gone to a couple here and there. That's called getting old, right? So the parting gift is do something you used to do for fun. Do it again. Uh, you know, don't go like vandalize or what you know. Depending <laughs> on what it is, but like, <laughs> if you if you used to play Magic the Gathering and you have it in forever, go seek out a game. If you used to go to concerts all the time and you have it forever, go seek out a concert that you get and, and let yourself get excited about it. It's it is it's called getting old, and so I think it's important, just like a relationship, you know, to have a date spice night it up. or whatever. Yeah, spice up your own personal nostalgia machine. Uh, whatever date night that with might yourself. Be. Mm-hmm. be like be like the kid in the in the house that 
you went to the open house of. I was going to say the same thing. But, Eight night with yourself. But would you have said it like 10 times faster than Jeff was able to get Well, in? I was being polite because I'm the guest. But, you know, <laughs> if you if you want to reconnect with, you know, moisturizing your elbows, like, there why not? Go. Yeah. Uh, that's what I used to do for fun. And if you need to towel it off with some Kleenex, then that's fine. Also, Blink-182. Uh, the tour's pretty much over, but uh, what a show. Skiba, he's so good. He was always good, and he's great in Blink. Dude, find your fun. That's what I'm saying. Find your fun. Uh, yeah, a lot of new shows starting up. It's fall, uh, even if it's still 105 degrees here in Los Angeles. It's fall, and uh, obviously some cool Netflix shows hitting me. Everybody's talking about Luke Cage. I'm not going to recommend Luke Cage to you because obviously you know about that. But maybe you haven't heard of, or if you have, you haven't tried, Son of Zorn. Uh, I think this Johnny is really Pemberton, cool. friend. He's a great dude. This is yeah. This is also um, the the dudes behind the Lego Movie, our executive producers, and a lot of comedians that you will recognize and uh, like as voices. The idea here is: what if He Man lived in the real world, had a son with a human lady, and was a deadbeat dad? Uh, and so it's like part live action, part animated. The animated bits are like He-Man, <laughs> and it's uh, it's really a clever idea and done pretty pretty smartly. I I like it. Um, only two episodes so far, but funny. Son of Zorn. It's on Fox, I think. Yep, Sunday's on Fox, yeah. I believe. Yeah, on Fox. Um, all right, guys, uh, that's gonna do it for this episode of DLC. Although we have at least one piece of bonus content, hopefully two, uh, based on how fast I can get home and record it and put it in the episode. Uh, but we appreciate you being here. Also, big thanks to David Walensky and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in the chat room. Oh, you know what? We're going to do an extra parting gift because Spaminator in the chat has one. Uh, we like doing those uh, listener recommendations. Spaminator in the chat recommended Baskets, the FX show Baskets. So funny uh, with uh, – what's his name? Um, Zach, Zach Galifianakis. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so funny. What a bizarre, avant-garde, strange, cool, hilarious show. He said Louis Anderson just won the Emmy for it, which is funny because Louis Anderson plays his mom in the show, which is hilarious and weird. Uh, he plays a uh, down-on-his-luck guy who all he wants in life is to be a clown uh, and, and can't because clowns aren't, don't make any money. And he's not a good one. Um, so he has to become a rodeo clown. It is so bizarre and so funny and so different. And Spaminator wanted to uh, recommend it to everybody. So check that out if you haven't on FX. All right. Anyway, thank you to uh, folks like Spaminator and others who are in the chat right now, participating, hanging out with us, making the show better. Thanks to all of you for downloading us. We appreciate it. We appreciate your feedback. Uh, we appreciate your kind reviews. Uh, the the mean reviews on, on iTunes are, are hurtful. But you know what? We appreciate you taking the time to give us any kind of feedback at all. Uh, <laughs> Uh, We will be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. Okay, so it's Jeff. I just got back from the hands-on event for Dishonored 2 in downtown Los Angeles. It was pretty cool. They let us play uh, a level, a mission from what was described as the middle of the game. And we could play it as both Corvo and Emily. Well, actually, either one, but you could play it back-to-back, and so I did. I played uh, both characters. I have to say, a little disappointed by how much different it is to play as Corvo or Emily. I played first as Emily, and uh, I really like her. I like the voiceover artist who's doing her dialogue. I like the fact that she's got this cool tentacly teleport, and she's got some fun skills. 
And it's the middle of the game, so there isn't that ramp up of acquiring skills and sort of figuring yourself out. You just dropped into the middle of the game, which is always a little disorienting at these kinds of things. Uh, but then playing again through as Corvo, you know, very similar kit, actually. Maybe there'll be more options. Uh, they had a loadout that they had predetermined for us, so maybe if you play through the game, there'll be more options for different kinds of loadouts. But more than that, I was a little disappointed because... Uh, the sequence that we played, we come into contact with an NPC who is, you know, he's the inventor. The um, the grand inventor is, is the name of your target in this assassination mission. So you infiltrate his mansion. And the first thing you do is you come face to face with him and he kind of challenges you to get him because uh, he has all these intricate defense systems in his mansion. Uh, and he comes face to face with you and you, of course, in your dishonored mask... Whichever character you are, you're wearing your Dishonored mask, but he's so smart that he has uh, sort of Sherlock Holmes-style deduced your identity. And I, when I first played that through as Emily, I thought, oh my goodness, uh, it's going to be so different when Corvo, he's going to have a different set of deductions. Not really. Not really. And that was kind of a disappointment. Um, I felt like they had more opportunity to make the fiction really vary, but even their sort of internal dialogue, their internal um, monologue that the characters are doing when they walk through the mission is almost identical with each character. So, yes, it's cool you can play as Emily or Corvo, and yes, they have some variety in their skills, but for the most part, I found it to be a a one-to-one pairing, not, not a wildly different kind of play experience. Still, the game itself... Uh, hands-on with it. We were playing on PC with an Xbox controller. There was no option to play with mouse and keyboard. It was Xbox controller only on a PC. Game looks great, obviously, if you've seen any of the screenshots or videos. It looks great. Start on this um, uh, roller coaster of sorts, a, a rail system that connects parts of the environment. But there is significant loading screens between each area. It is not a seamless open world type thing. Uh, go, you went to this mansion where the mission started, you go in and it was super cool. As I mentioned, it's the, he's the grand inventor. So he's got this massive clockwork tech, uh, mansion that changes. There's these switches that you can flip throughout the mansion that let you alter it in massive ways. I don't know if anybody ever remembers the old, um, Spider-Man and his amazing friends, cartoon series but when spider-man pushed a button in his room it would like everything would rotate and it would reveal all these computers behind the behind the sofa and behind the picture on the wall it's kind of like that matt or or, uh, maybe a more modern reference is is portal in portal you know everything there's mechanical movement behind every wall if you could just see but past it you know you it would rotate and flip and turn same thing here uh, really, really cool visualization of that and sort of the puzzle of the mansion to figure out how to get to your target uh, and the uh, optional side quest, which is find this old man and and put him on your shoulder and carry him out and save him. Uh, finding him, manipulating uh, the the actual mansion's walls and, and things are moving up and moving down and staircases are appearing and floors are constructing or deconstructing themselves based on lever pulls. All very, very cool, and that's sort of the the central puzzle of of that level, it seemed to me. Uh, And then you're fighting these clockwork automatons, these robots that this guy has been making. Uh, Very, very cool-looking things, uh, challenge to fight 
uh, of course, I was doing a lot of stealthy sneaking up behind them. And then the takedown animations when you would stealthily take them down. Yes, it's only one button press, but man, it was cool. Like sticking a sword through its cerebral cortex, you know, the, like twisting off its legs and, and de, you know, uh, deactivating it in a very graphic, awesome way. Very, very cool stuff. Um, you're sneaking through his mansion, either eliminating people. I was kind of playing for expediency, and so I was killing a lot of guards. But, you know, obviously nonviolent ways to deal with all that stuff too, as is the Dishonored tradition. Um, and it all looked great. It was a pretty brief demo overall. I said I, I think I could probably have gotten through it much even quicker than I did, but it only took me, you know, half an hour each playthrough of each character. Uh, but it, it certainly whet my appetite for more Dishonored. I think that this sequel is going to be very, very good. I'm a little disappointed by all the loading screens that I encountered, um, but it does have a Save Anywhere feature again, and I love that about it. I I think that it engenders such creativity and such you know trying weird wacky things because you don't have to worry about going back to a a a uh, checkpoint arbitrary checkpoint you've made your own checkpoint and you can be as outside the box thinking as as you want and there was a couple of times where I was fighting a guy and I knocked him over a rail and he went tumbling out over it and falling down into water below and um, you know, there was a couple of things where I was like, I'm going to try to flip the switch and then see if I could just ride the changing environment as it morphs into a different form. And I did, and then I would die, or I'd, you know, try to run across this electrified floor and not make it and die. And, you know, being able to experiment like that in a game like this, I think, makes it even more fun because part of what makes Dishonored Dishonored is all the creativity you're able to bring to bear in how you solve the mission and how you take down the enemy or how you, you know, infiltrate the area. And, you know, it, it really seemed like there was a lot of ways to go about things that I didn't even intend to, you know, attempt. I really, this level, I really was sort of blunt force, like go straight, kill everything in my path, get to the bad guy, you know, go to the, the uh, waypoint marker as directly as possible, murdering everything in my path and it was pretty quick, uh, but I imagine there are ways to go through that level that are uh, more clever and, and subtle and less blunt force, um, you know, but they're not readily apparent. I think that's the magic of a Dishonored game is that you kind of have to be a little creative in discovering that stuff. But yeah, I mean, very high high production value all, all across the 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 way the level was laid out, you're riding elevators going up and down, you're manipulating the environment, flipping those switches and rotating things around, and there's people around every corner, guards waiting, and those robot automatons that are activated or deactivated, and then you kind of enter into his grand laboratory at the end to have a showdown with the, the grand inventor, and it it's all sort of gold and clockwork and steampunk, and uh, it's such an awesome... The, the Dishonored universe is such an awesome universe. I, I just think it has, it sparks my imagination and aesthetically it just works so well. I love it. Uh, so I'm excited for more Dishonored 2 and this brief taste just made me want more. All right, so stay tuned. We still have our spoiler discussion of Virginia coming up with more bonus content coming right at you right now. Okay, so all three of us have played and completed Virginia. I played it on Xbox One. Christian played it on PlayStation. What did you play it on, David? I also played it on PlayStation. Cool. Uh, not a long game, but um, 
hard to sum up <laughs> uh, that. Well, let's let's try to walk through this. What do you guys think happened at, at the end? I mean, I know that I think both of you expressed frustration with the ending. I share in that. I think the end, ending is a little more enigmatic than it needed to be. David, tell me what you what the experience of playing it was, and and what you know what you think what you think happened. <laughs> um, I was gonna say, you know, before you said we were gonna add more later, I was I was just gonna say, like, I feel like I need to go back and play it again to sort of like wrap my head around like all the things it was sort of implying was saying that happened. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's completely fine when you know any work of art or fiction or whatever like chooses to be sort of you know coy or chooses to be you know not lay all its cards on the table. But I think, you know, because it is a game without dialogue, because it is a game without um, any spoken words, it it complicates sort of trying to understand and just process, like, what is going on, especially because it seems like towards the end, there's, if I'm remembering it correctly, there's a lot of, like, revisiting, a lot of repeating or sort of replaying some things that are, like, really earlier in the game while it's also going forward in time. Yeah, a lot of people are comparing it to Twin Peaks or True Detective. Um, and, and I think, you know, it bears comparison to those because it is – it has uh, weird it, – it's not clear when you're in a dream and when you're not in a dream. There's definitely dream imagery. There's this buffalo that keeps coming back. And at one point you're standing in some kind of bizarre masked ritual where you have to stab the buffalo. Yeah, that's when the game started to lose me. <laughs> Honestly, where I was just like, oh, there's all this crazy stuff going on. But don't worry, it's explained by this uh, vague group of figures and robes and masks. Or it's like a eyes wide shut sort of type it's ceremony. Like everybody that, you've been working for up to that point is there represented. So it's almost like you're being manipulated by a group of shadowy uh, figureheads. Uh, but is that a dream or a so, drug trip? Because there's also a drug trip in the game as well, right? Yeah. My understanding of this, and again, this is, I was checked out because I greatly what disliked did, what, playing What did game. you dislike about it so much? I mean, I know you said, like, it's difficult to tell what you could interact with, but, I mean, did you just find it completely boring, or was there something else going on, too? Yes and yes. Um, <laughs> the the gameplay, playing the game, to me, added nothing. Like, having me have any direct control over this game, I don't think added anything. I think it, in fact, it suffered from what I think some of the modern telltale games suffer from where the Mm. pacing was awkward. Like I understand that they were leaning on or trying to borrow from cinematic techniques. If the problem is, is a Fincher shot TV show or movie would be 10 times more elegant than how this was done where it's like, you're in the hall and then the jump and then you look and then it's like, okay, so they're trying to tell you that you can be in control but have no control because there's nothing you can interact with the, in the in the car and that's the commentary on the scene. So what it really is is like even though you're the uh, – I just felt like – Sorry. I'm sorry ahead. to interrupt you. I, 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 for me, even when there were moments of frustration or I wasn't quite clear where I, what was exactly happening – or I felt like what I was doing was really simplistic. It was exactly the opposite of what you're saying. I I never was bored. And it was the opposite of that. It was almost like I didn't intend to play this game at all in one setting, sitting, but I couldn't ever stop. I was always intrigued as to what might happen next because it felt like the fat was trimmed out. You know, Don't you in, think it'd be that way if you were just watching it? I think it would have been a million times better as just a, a movie. 
or but shield. I think there are, I think there are so many moments in the game that wouldn't have worked if it was like that. Like maybe I'm misremembering it or misunderstanding it, but like aren't there moments where like you go to your bed and you see someone in your bed, but it turns out to be you in that bed? Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think I think how if, would that if, not if, happen in a film? Well, because you can't not go anywhere else. That's the thing. So when I started this game, you walk out of a room and you're in a hallway and you can go any direction. And I'm like, I, I tend to like to go left because traditionally it's changing now, but traditionally left is not the way you go. Even in first person games, when you get to a fork in the road. Oh, you always try to do the opposite of what they want. Yeah. I want to explore. I, 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 I do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. He's a contrarian. Yeah. I want to explore. And, and there's, there's <laughs> no, nothing. <I'm> not. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing to explore over there. Right. And nothing you can do. So after I tried that, like two times and i was like oh there is literally nothing in this world other than just doing this thing like i found that me going to my bed and then seeing someone else there and seeing it's really me there that was literally the only thing i could do i didn't at that point i didn't even try to go over to the closet to see if there's be something there so i think because it's such a forced narrative that i would have rather them just told me their narrative in a tighter way that a movie a tv show could shoot it instead of me clumsily walking and not being able to get my cursor over the thing because, wait, did an icon pop up on the lamp? No? Here's, oh, this game still sucks? Cool. Here's why I disagree with that. <laughs> even even at the most basic level, which this game operates on as far as mechanics, it, it, is, it doesn't do anything sophisticated mechanically. Even on that most basic level, I need to move it forward. I have to participate in moving the game forward. It will not go forward unless I do it. It's almost as if the game is constantly saying, are you ready for the next bit? Are you ready for the next bit? And, and, because, and because of that, I was constantly thinking. I was constantly sitting forward and, ex- and experiencing this and contemplating what I was seeing rather than having it fed to me. It was being fed to me, but I had to ask for the next spoonful. And I think that level of interactivity did change the way I experienced the world. Yes, it was very linear, and yes, it was just go to the next node and tell it to continue, but because I had to do that and because I was constantly looking around and trying to figure out what I was being told, I felt like the interactivity heightened all of that for me. I wonder, and I don't mean this to be snarky, I wonder if like, from an uh, art standpoint then, if you would be enthralled by a movie that was shot at uh, one quarter speed and in order to watch it you had to hold fast forward i, I don't think that's a, the a right the correct analogy because you're not just like constantly pressing a button to have it move you you're, are i mean you're kind of holding well, a thumbstick right you're you're periodically pressing a button to have it move you, i guess you're right you're holding a thumbstick but but I, I, go ahead Brave. well i know i'm just gonna say i think the game is more about soaking up you know, these moments and these environments and these atmospheres more than like, what's the next thing you're going to do? Because sometimes the next thing you're going to do is like, you see a baseball cap, or you see some evidence in a garbage can, or, uh, you know, you see a road sign as you're sitting in the back of a car. I think it's more about that. It's a quieter kind of thing than I think what people, you know, when they hear the word video game, what they tend to expect. And I think I think it makes sense that it can be this polarizing because it's like, man, nothing really happened. But it's also like for some people, like I think they'll be like, it's pretty cool because like nothing really happened. And (laughs) and in those moments in the car, you know, I turned my head and I would look at her in the car and that I was directing that scene. Right. I I didn't have to do that. I, I was turning my head and looking to check in on on my partner in the car and see if her 
ex- facial expression. But it never rewarded that. I and I think I think part of it though is like we have this baggage of like because I found myself playing it sometimes like the way I would have played an adventure game where I'm like okay I have to check every door every drawer every this right. every that and oftentimes there's just like there's nothing to find like that's not really the point so it it's like we we truck in this baggage like I said of like expectations and like definitely the game just doesn't work that way so it's almost like you know. Christian, kind of, did, you, did you not find any of the scenes evocative or interesting? I mean, so many of those those moments where you're sitting at that cafe and people are coming in, and there's clear, like, clearly you have a relationship with your partner that is personal in nature, right? You have some sort, you end up having a, I think, a sexual relationship with your partner. Um, you are trying to find this this little boy uh, that has gone missing, and you fail, right? And Time passes and you somehow move up the ranks in your no, company. I, I don't think that's real. You don't think any of that's real. My and I, like I said, I was not. Uh, I could be wrong, and I played it once and I didn't go back. And like after Inside, and I was like curious and I read about things or whatever. This game, I I don't care to do that. Um, but my impression is, you know, you're in prison, you get caught going back to the thing, and you're in prison and you sit there, and then you drop acid. And or I, the orders could be wrong, but I think that thing when you go through the ranks and you progress and you become your boss and then you hire someone else to be the snitch and stuff like yeah. that, I think that's all where your career could have gone had you not thrown away your partner's files. Like your partner uh. sees the files, catches you, and then you think about you know the relationship or the bond you form. You have that meeting. You then just disclose all of her private information to a field apparently where anyone could walk upon it. Um, but you throw it away and you're like, you're saying to her like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I care more about you than I do about. Right. And I think if she had not done that, the other thing is a a projection of what her career could have been. And I think she was seeing that it wasn't happiness. And so she makes this decision. She does this thing and the game really ends with you in jail next to your partner being in jail. And then you have this acid trip that illuminates what, is happening is that you are taking off your mask, your mask being this identity of being this straight A achiever person that's willing to do anything to move up the corporate ranks. And you realize that that's not good enough. You're not going to kill the Buffalo and lose who you are or whatever analogy they're making with the Buffalo. So you finally take off your mask. That is your face that you've been putting on every day with lipstick to be this professional, to be this minority woman in a straight white male driven world the things that are required of you to work within this world. And then you're done with that and, you, and you're accepting where you are. And I think you're in prison. I think that's awesome. When you say it, when you describe it that way, <laughs> it sounds like a, you liked the game and B that's an amazing thing. When has a video game ever expressed that complex an idea? Well, so <laughs> very rarely. Um, so my, I think, I think that there are, there's an, a nugget of a really cool story here. I think I would have preferred it to have to watched it on Netflix or Amazon or, or whatever. Right. Because I feel like the, the, the gameplay moments suffer from, and I, I like a lot of what Telltale does, so I'm not trying to bag on them, but I feel like those conversations happen at such an unnatural pace where I'm an intelligent enough viewer. I don't need it to linger and be so slow. And even the hallway and the jump cuts, it's like. 20 steps too many steps in that hallway before it jumps me to the next thing and after that happened once i know it's going to happen the next times and it doesn't subvert those expectations it never makes you walk through a whole hallway it doesn't continue to play with you in a way that a video game or an experience could or even a a, a tightly directed or or focused well i disagree with that at the end when you have to walk through that long cave until you get 
you know, in the dream sequence and you're walking through that long cave and you get to that, to the, the ritual. Yeah. That part, it doesn't jump cut and it makes you walk for a long time, just kind of following a light. I found that to be the payoff to all the jump cuts, which is like, you really have to go through this whole thing, you know? Maybe, but I, I think I just would have preferred that story or that message to have been told not in, like I said, the video game. And then I think people are holding the story on a higher pedestal because it is a video game. And I think video games are still in their infancy. So we're looking for things to raise to a higher level to tout as art. And I think if this had been released as a movie or a short, it would have been like, this is interesting. And then ultimately forgotten. Last thing. Do you think, um, wait, do you think, before you go on, do you think it could have been a movie or a TV show and had no dialogue like this? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, there's a whole episode of Buffy with no dialogue. Right. And Buffy, okay. I love Buffy, but Buffy's not, you know, the highest work of art ever. But there's. Have you guys seen Wally? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, there's a, and there's like a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stuff too, like, you know, in um, Breaking Bad, you know, where they do a really good job of like showing like how truly little dialogue you do need. I think it's interesting. I mean, I'm not going to say this is like, you know, my most favorite game. I'm going to tell everyone to go out and play it. Like I was grateful because it was a, you know, it was not a bullet storm. It was something a right. little bit more interesting. A That's how I feel. Fun. It's certainly not. Yeah. I don't feel about it the same way I feel about inside, which is going to be on my top games of the year. I, I don't think this will make my top games of the year list, but I do think I it's $10 well spent for me because it gave me an experience I have never had in a video game. And I'm thinking about it afterwards. Um, so I, I recommend it to people, but I don't think it's the best moot game of the year or anything like that. Where do you guys feel like this fits in with something like uh, Heavy Rain or uh, Beyond Two Souls? I mean, I think it's in that same lineage in a sense of, of you know, narrative, sort of artistic narrative over gameplay. But right. I, I think those are more sophisticated works, certainly. Yeah. I, so I think I've expressed a little bit why I think it fails – Again, I'm, I'm I'm probably coming across overly negative, and I apologize. I'm I'm not trying. <laughs> I'm not like throwing up in my mouth as I watch this game. It just didn't click for me, and I'm not saying if people did enjoy it that they are wrong, and that this is the the only true view to have for this game. I I know that right. sometimes I come across argumentative and um, authoritarian when I'm talking, and that's just a failure of mine. Um, but I, I think I've kind of described why I think it doesn't work or hit hit a home run for me personally as a video game. And then I think the narrative, and I, I maybe described a compelling narrative, but I think the reason the narrative fails, and I've talked about this a little bit with Inside, and these are just my personal tastes, but we are three fairly intelligent people, and to have <laughs> us not know what happened, that's a failure in my head. Well, no, it's not It's not that we don't know what happened, it's that we have different interpretations of it, or it lands on us in a way that's not explicit, it lands us in a way that's a little more open to interpretation, and open, a little vaguer and more... Uh, more dreamlike, and I, you, I think that's you, wrong. Do you think the end of The Sopranos was a failure? That's different. That's t- I think that's I think that is very different. Well, it's the same sort of nebulousness that you're talking about. No, because that's that's a, a to be continued. It's a, that's just the story ends, but the life keeps happening, and we we just didn't see the next frame, so we have to guess what the next frame is. That's like saying if you stop a TV show halfway through. And are never able to watch the rest of that TV show. Is that a failure? No, like this game doesn't do that. This game wraps itself up. It's just convoluted in a way that I think it's trying to be. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a failure that something is left open to interpretation. I guess I just don't think that this is. um, uh, Which again, even though all three of us said we were confused and not necessarily like you know advocates for the way it wraps up, like uh, I don't know that it's necessarily a failure. I think it's just like well. 
you know, like I even said before when I started, like I feel like I need to go back and play it again before I even really understand it, which yeah, failure is too strong of a word. Yeah, I feel yeah. like it misses its mark, and then for me, I found the gameplay to be not enjoyable. That I have no desire to go. This isn't like a, a book or experience that I finished, or a work of art like a painting that I look at and that is challenging me as I'm looking at this thing. And and for me, I think it's because it was two strikes that I have no desire to spend time with it to better understand what Dante was talking about. You know what the the levels of hell actually are as I digest this tome as i read it. i'm kind of just like okay uh i don't regret the money but uh i you know i regret the time <laughs> well i apologize for uh making you play but... i made you play forza horizon 3 i get it okay. no I, I didn't think that was a waste of my time uh, and i certainly didn't have to pay, to pay 10 bucks for it um i'll send you 10 bucks christian no no need i i got the discount i pre-ordered it for that last hour before when it was like eight bucks so it was oh, you sweet. know easy all right, guys. Well, I thought that was an interesting discussion, and uh, I think it's an interesting game, and it's certainly generating a lot of discussion. I'd love to hear what other people that have played the game feel about it. If you want to email us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, but uh, until then, we'll see you next week.